Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sunderland won 2-0 this weekend at Plymouth. Longest journey, well, second longest in the country, isn't it? Because Newcastle-Plymouth is the biggest football league distance, but the longest we'll Longest do. for Sunderland. Yeah, longest we'll do. Uh, it was a, what, seven-hour trip, I think it is? 800-odd miles in round trip, business. Yeah, yeah, horrible. Give I've, or take. I, I've done it. It's a long haul. <laughs> I, I was avoiding that one. I was like, nope, I'm not doing that. I'll stay at home. I'm not going down there. Alex, you watched it on the, from Alaska, was it? From Alaska, yeah, yeah. Whatever my um, uh, Windscribe VPN has yeah. me currently sitting in. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Alaska. And Grave, did you catch the game? I listened to Nick Barnes and uh, Gary Bennett, but Bennett was good. Yeah. Barnesy. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only talking Barnes is a good mate. We're always, um, uh, always having banter, but it's a bit weird when you know someone personally and they're. Uh, and you, you actually hear them doing commentary. I mean, I never used to hear him doing commentary because I was always covering the game. So it's a bit weird listening to the two of them. I've seen him picking on you before about missing the yeah. first goal at Home Park. Well, it's a long story. That if we've got time, I'll tell it. But uh, yeah, that was an, that was an, an which one was that? Is that two thousand seven? I don't, know, I don't know. I have no idea what the year was. It might have been a bit earlier than that. Might have yeah, because might... played them under Mick McCarthy. Yeah, and then we would have played them under Roy Keane as well. Yeah. Well, that's one of those things where. You miss five minutes of one game in 20 years and you never hear the end of it. Do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Sort of like it's, uh, they love to bring that up, Barnsley. Uh, but yeah, we, we were always giving each other stick. But then that was always half the fun of being in the northeast press pack. You know, so you, sometimes, especially in tough seasons, you need a bit of gallows humour to keep you going. And uh, there was always good banter on the trips. So even, even the long, some of those long trips, and, and fans will be the same, you know, sort of like when they make the long trips, half the fun, even on those long trips, can be the banter you have. Yeah. Half the funds of the trip itself, especially when you watch yeah. something get it's, beat. Yeah, it's usually pretty oh, good yeah. until three o'clock, and then yeah. it's like, oh, what have I come here for? But uh, yeah, but no, the uh, the press. I will say that different clubs have different press course, but ours was always a really good one. Quite, uh, we used to have a phrase, "Never leave a man down." But, uh, you know, people looked after each other, which is a good thing. So all all the the banter you see is just banter. True, very true. All banter on them away trips. That's the perfect time to bond. Uh, you've got a new book coming out, Graham. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it's, it's I co-authored it with Rob Mason, who's the club historian, a magazine, the, the program editor. Everyone will know Rob, I think. He's coming on the, he's football been on the podcast. It hasn't been released yet, but that will be coming out soon. Yeah, um, at, and Lance Hardy. Lance Hardy, I don't know if you've ever, ever met Lance, but Lance wrote Stoke or Sunderland in 73. Uh, and this is the third in the series. It's Tales from the Red and Whites. Uh, the first one 
which we all collaborated on was a collection of, of, of tales generally about Sunderland from journalists and from players and ex-players. Gary Rowell, I did ghost wrote Gary Rowell's chapter in that one as well as doing a piece on Quinn and Phillips. Second one was players, 1 to 11 chapters, 1 to 11 players, goalkeeper all the way through to strikers. And this is the third one in the series. This is the managers, which is a, a, more of a challenge because you can get players quite easily, but getting managers to come and have a, a long chat with you um, is never easy. So we're really pleased with it. We've each done two chapters each and done six managers in total. Uh, and two of the managers, Reedy and uh, Martin Crosby, are coming up for the launch, uh, which is on Friday, November the 16th at the Stadium of Light. So who did you write on? Which were the managers? I did, I did Peter Reed and I did uh, Simon Grayson. And um, Rob did Ken Knighton. Um, Lance did Malcolm Crosby. Lance did Poyet, which means that... Um, Rob did Laurie yeah I shouldn't let Laurie slip I, know, I can hear people booing as, whenever you say Laurie McManamy even now mm. but that was uh, that was the first interview with Laurie in about 40 years that he's really properly done on Sunderland um, so that's that's probably the biggest coup of the book that is and, and Rob did that and uh, I must think be some age now he's, he's 80 he's either 80 or 82 so he's, he's he really I mean, maybe, maybe he just wanted to get off his chest I, I didn't think that had any chance of getting uh, Laurie I just thought he'd say no and in fact he's, I think his family suggested he say yeah. no his family said don't do it um, so I was really pleased that he did do it a lot of these chapters we just wanted to get the manager's honest thoughts about you know so it, the history's fairly well known but we want to go out and say well what did you really think about that or what was really happening or we were watching from the outside and this appeared to be the case what was the case now because of that to a certain extent this is a bit of a, I wouldn't say a non-critical element, but say Laurie Max chapter, for example. It was more important that Laurie Max thoughts and, and, and opinions are heard than, say, Rob or one of us going, that was rubbish, or that was crap, yeah. or that was, no, you, 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 you had to just sort of say, right, okay, let's, and that's what the good thing about the book is you've got the thoughts and opinions and feelings of those managers looking back on their time and you might not agree with them but the great thing is they're there on paper and you can read them and either disagree or agree with them as much as you want to and also there's a few there's a few explanations sometimes about what was really happening behind the scenes which even that you know some, when I was reading some of the chapters even I found fascinating you know because often even when you're if you're a journalist quite close to it you don't quite know sometimes the ins and outs of what's going on it would have been different for you as well because Peter Reid you will have worked with but Grayson I don't see why you would ever have had any deals no and that, and, that, and, that, and that worked that worked really well for us in an unexpected way Reedy uh, I was probably you know I, I was I was very close to Reedy in terms of uh, the, the relationship we developed uh, I got banned a few times usually unfairly but I got uh, you know <laughs> we, we, so we had our we had our fallouts occasionally Um I say you, you used to dread Monday morning. You get a phone call occasionally, and uh, it'd be hi, Graham. I've got Peter for you, and I think, oh no, this isn't going to end well. Uh, and he take exception to something I might have written like about the match or whatever. Um, but I got on really well with him, and it was he spent a whole afternoon with me. It was great. He was giving me a lot of his time, uh, three or four hours, and we went through everything. With Reed, it was fairly easy because we were talking about like if you were talking with your mates, you're talking about things that you all know have happened. Grayson was harder. Because I had left the Echo by the time Grayson started, and I was because of that, I, I did a lot more research, and I was thinking to myself, "I wonder how this is going to go." Because you're meeting someone you don't really know, and you, mm-hmm. it's quite an intimate thing—an interview where you're you're asking them forensic things. You've got to ask them to trust you 
a lot really um but he was brilliant and very open i, I mean that's I, I really like that i came away thinking wow that was a really really good interview uh so when's the book due out um it's uh, I, actually, it's I on brought, amazon pre-order isn't it is it uh, yeah i brought a couple i brought a couple of the copies of the old books in which i know doesn't work very well on podcast no, at all really uh, but they, <laughs> i can't bring the the uh the, the new book out because it's, it's at the Ooh. printers now there you go. I'm handing the books out to the boys as we speak. Thank you. Uh, the, it's, at, um, it's at the printers, uh, but I think the first time it'll be physically available to get in your hands will be uh, that launch on Friday, November the 16th at the stadium. Um, and I'll, I'll put a link for the podcast for people to click if they want to buy tickets because uh, Reed and Cross, but Peter Reed especially, uh, normally there's all the bigger venues. And, whereas this'll be a, this'll be more like an unplugged acoustic thing, I think, really, sort of stuff. It'll be kind of a quieter thing, so chance to kind of meet him and have a chat with him, really. Yeah, be good. Um, I'll probably come down now. I'm aware. Cool. I saw. I saw it yesterday. We actually, advertised when I was checking your Twitter page. So you'd be most welcome. Yeah. Um. So, do you want to give a little bit of background about your life? Obviously, Graham Anderson. People know you as the Sunderland Echo writer, but are you a Sunderland fan growing up? Are you from here? I mean, uh, I'm from. I'm. I'm from County Durham. I was born in Haswell, a village called Haswell, out in the sticks. Um. And it was weird. Really. I'm a lad from County Durham, but I was, everyone thinks I'm from Sunderland because I covered the club for many years worked for the Echo from 1987 onwards um, wasn't a plan I started working on a free newspaper in Litchfield and then went for a weekly newspaper in Folkestone um, when the Herald of Free Enterprise and the, the Great Storm of Kent was on that was a long time ago now covered that as a young journalist and then I came back to Sunderland Echo because that was the next step as I was heading up the tree I thought but I loved it and I stayed and um, I had such a good time journalism in those days was just such fun uh, and I got the Sunderland job in 95 I was only the fourth Sunderland writer in 100 years um, and uh, I think in the, in the book my claim to fame is I've written more words on Sunderland Football Club than anyone who's ever lived uh, as a journalist um, it's quite an intense period uh, and I left in 2014 so I saw an awful lot of managers and an awful lot of things during my time there and it was uh, it was a privilege do you ever miss mm-hmm. it? Um, occasionally, I mean, I've got, I've got to, I've got to, I mean, I've got to say, I had a twang yesterday when uh, when I was getting stick from Barnsley and Benno, and uh, well, I'm on, I'm on a WhatsApp group which has got Richard Maneer in, who's at the Echo, yeah. and uh, James Hunter at the Chronicle, and Chris Young. Chris Young set it up. Yeah. Chris Young was a guy who took over he's from me. He's in LA was, now, is he? He's back in England now. Oh, is he? He's lurking, lurking in London. <laughs> he's lurking in London. Which you, I think, I think, I think uh, Barnsley met up with him. Um, met up with Youngie. Um, on the Sunday after the Plymouth Argyle game today, at the Betjeman's Arms in uh, at, at, um, just outside King's Cross. So when I saw Betjeman's Arms just outside King's Cross, then I missed it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. because uh, the away trips sometimes were really good fun. Um, so I I I, I don't really miss the day to day side of things. And uh, I think I was lucky. I think I got the best times of it in the sense that um, as I was. Coming in in the nineties, you were still able to be mates with the players. Yeah, I mean, in in those first two or three years, I had the telephone number of every player, and I could ring them up every every any any time I wanted to. It was great. So if I was struggling for a back, you, you've got to bear in mind you're looking for a back page every day, right? And they don't write themselves sort of mm-hmm. stuff, and uh, you've got to kind of have ideas all the time. It's blank space every day, you know what I mean? Sort of. So to be able to have the players' telephone numbers or the manager's telephone numbers, to be able to ring them up and just ask them a question, or you know, that was great. And then as time moved on. And the business grew and the kind of whole media side of things changed and the press offices and the clubs kind of control grew. It became harder and harder to develop those relationships with players. Um, 
you know, so, but at the same time, it's still a fantastic job now. It's still a great privilege to have. I heard a story about you covering the 92 Cup final. And I think it was from Simon O'Rourke. And he mm-hmm. said that you are absolutely buzzing because you weren't on the sports desk at that time and they'd ask you to cover it from in the crowd. Yeah. Uh, and he was telling us that it was the best thing for you because you didn't normally get a go at the Sunderland games. Oh, I, I love the uh, I love the cup the cup run uh, because I, I enjoyed it as a fan and uh, and uh, that that was where I really got a sense of of what a privilege it was because I was there for the the the, uh, the Chelsea game one where Gordon the famous one at Roker Park where Gordon Armstrong headed the ball uh, uh, rose majestically they headed the ball past the bearing arm of uh, David Besson and. We came back, we walked back across the bridge to Chaplin's and we had loads to drink, me and my mates. <laughs> and uh, we were writing the story. Uh, we, were, we were allowed to write the front page the next day, me and I called Andy Barker. Um, and I've still, I've, I was, I've still got the actual front page at home. It's got by, by Andy Barker and Graham Anderson on. Uh, and we were laughing because it was such a fun, we were on such a high uh, after that game. And we kept sort of joking about, do you remember the moment when Gordon Armstrong rose majestically to head the ball past the despair and arm of David Besant? And then we rolled into work the next day and had the right front page. So I wrote, you know, the, the moment when Gordon Armstrong mm. rose majestically to head the ball past it. We just laughed all day about that fact. But this thing that we'd been saying in the pub was now on the front page. Um, but then we we ended up, you're right, Simon's right, we ended up sort of trying to uh, to wangle ourselves this uh, trip to... to uh, to Wembley and really only took one news reporter but somehow we convinced them me and Andy convinced them, oh, you really need to you've <laughs> got to cover every angle so we we got we got the um, we got this trip to London and then we were told that because what was going to happen was there was going to be a bus the bus tour was um, when the team would come back on the, the next day there was going to be a bus with the players on open top bus Ramside which is going to go into London and into, into London sorry well the there was a media bus in front of that and I remember the news that it was me and Andy were leaving to, for the FA Cup final, trying to look professional, but like really thinking, come on. <laughs> As we were leaving, Helen Stewart was the news that said, right, lads, enjoy yourself in London, but if you're not on that bus at midday on the Sunday, your P45s will be in reception. <laughs> so and it was, it, was, it was a near-run thing catching that bus. But yeah, it was just that... That that was that's the sort of time. Sometimes when you and the, the lads who are doing the Sunday Echo now I'll tell you, this, and, and you're the northeast press lads. Sometimes during a long season, it's just a real slog, and it's no fun, particularly when the team's doing really bad. Uh, but Simon O'Rourke's quite right. You you live for those sort of the, the the good moments and the good times. And, I, and I, during the Peter Reid era, there were so many good times. Uh, and I used to try and tell people, look, enjoy this. People would be like, well, what, what about this? And what about this? And promotion, what about this sort of stuff? And I'd just, just, just enjoy, enjoy the good times while they're there. Um, and just right now, these five, six wins in a row, I know everyone's like, what about this and what about that? But people just try and enjoy it because, um, you know, the fallow periods regularly happen. So just enjoy the good times while they last. And that, that 1992 FA Cup final was, well, up until it kicked off. Yeah. That was, uh, was a really great, that run was really great with Johnny Byrne. Apart from uh, writing loads of stuff, I presume you're still doing that now. What else do you do these days? Uh, left the Echo in 2014. Um, it was the right time to go. Um, the, the papers were declining, the readerships were declining. Um, and it, as I say, football had changed. And I'd, I'm a late life father, so I had a baby daughter, um, four year old, and I wanted to see her grow up. And it become it was always 24 7 the job, but with Facebook and Twitter and, and the web, it was booming more so. Um, so I left, and for the last three or 
or four years, I've been building a business, GSA Media, which is a PR company. Uh, and I'm uh, basically a freelance journalist and a PR person, so I, I divide my t- time. The freelance journalism market um, isn't really, it's not really a vast amount of money around it, so you've supplemented by doing the PR side of things. But uh, one of the pleasures I've had is since I left the Echo, I've been able to work for all the national newspapers. You can only work for the one paper if you contract that and i've worked for everything from the times the observer the guardian at the top end to kind of like uh the sun and the daily star and the sunday sport at the bottom end so that kind of that that felt that it's a different type of journalism it's um but it's good to test yourself doing those different things is that all sport as well all football all sport yeah yeah, yeah. but then uh but then uh, I, I never used to be fond of the PR. I think PR were the first two words of prostitute, and you're kind of prostituting your talents to kind of uh, to do PR. But I'm lucky enough that um, the people I work with are all a lot of them are former Sunderland uh, business people I know um, from the old days. So they're all kind of mates anyway. So my clients tend to be people I get on with. So I, I don't have that the boss figure that you kind of you know you, you dread. So it's good fun. Uh, but writing this book kind of brings it you know brings it all back. So I have missed it a little bit more lately and. Uh, a bit like uh, you know when Keegan packed in and he spent four years on a golf course and then came back. I think I wouldn't mind uh, being a bit more involved than I have been lately. Okay, we'll jump onto the match yesterday. So Sunland lined up, and I love the way you do this, Alex, because you're the only writer on Roker Report that puts the start eleven in the match report. Well, yeah, it's a staple. I know you need to get on because Gav and Jimmy don't do that. And no, no, no. I'll, I'll have words with both of them once yeah. I leave the studio today. Like, don't you worry. It's just annoying. I mean, I understand you put the player ratings in, so you get the start eleven later on. But yeah, well, just a, a, like a, a, a nice, a nice sort of uniform structure goes a long way for the match report. I feel. Yeah. Well, does, it, does he does he put them in the start and order? Or is he, is it, is in the start and order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm also class. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people. Is when well, well, any media outlet puts the first four defenders on the team sheet. They put them sometimes left back, right back, centre back, centre back. I'm mm. really against that. I like left, centre, centre, right. I just feel like that's well. The, the, that's the worst crime is, is where the, the clubs put out the team sheet and they just put the numbers, the squad numbers. Oh. So you sort of start at one and go up to sort of seven mm-hmm. or whatever it's going to be, but you get no sense of who was where. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just the surnames because when you when I'm researching, like obviously now that we're in League One. You know, ten out of eleven names on the start and eleven aren't, you know, household you names that you remember. Yeah. So you know, if it if a, a team's Twitter page puts out just surnames like Plymouth did yesterday, you've then got to go to the wiki, look for the first names, and it's it's really just the the pinnacle of first world problems or <laughs> yeah. the epitome, as the case may be. Yeah. Well, I went to uh, I remember going to a Watford game once. Watford away it was, and. Uh, it seems she came out and I'd been frantic week and I had much chance to really sort of do my research particularly, but their, their first their goalkeeper was called Willie Garrett and I, and I just got a fit of the giggles Willie Garrett what a perfect name for a for a, a goalkeeper and I was laughing and I was like probably overreacting a bit hysterical I just thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen and their press officer was a Cockney I'll not even try the Cockney accent but he was like you know what, what are you laughing at what are you laughing at I said Millwall what I can't remember but basically I said uh, your goalkeeper yeah look him up now your goalkeeper <laughs> and but his name is William Jure apparently it's not he's not he's, it's William and then Jure is G-E-U R-E-T or something like that. So he played as a goalkeeper. He played for Millwall. Yeah, Millwall. Yeah. yeah he played 15 yeah. games for Millwall. Yeah, Willie like, Garrett. 2000, 2004. Yeah, Willie Julie Garrett. Jure, he probably Jure. pronounced it. I yeah, don't know. But, yeah, probably. But, like, Eric Roy or Eric Wah. But uh, yeah. Willie Garrett. Perfect name for a goalkeeper. There we are. He, he finished up at Kettering Town in 2011. Maybe oh, well. he didn't get it. 
Yeah. No, he did, didn't didn't quite get it, did he? Yeah, he did win the Football League trophy though with Milton Keynes in two. Oh, well, he got it then. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. You always learn something new every day. I never hit a Willy Gouret. Well in Willy. Well anyway, done, yes. lineups. Where I was before, before I was given Alex Scotland. Yeah. John McLaughlin nets, and then from right to left, as Alex said, it would be Adam Matthews, Tom Flanagan, Jack Baldwin, Rhys James. In order. Yeah, midfield, Honeyman, McGeoch. Uh, Honeyman sitting, unlike usual, where he's mm-hmm. behind the striker. Wings, Lyndon Gooch, McGeady down the middle, Maguire on the other flank, and then Josh Madger up front. First half out, probably the better side, Alex. Would you say that was fair? I would say we, it. Yeah, yeah, we probably were the better side. I don't think by an awful lot. I think it was a very entertaining first half, very well contested. I think both teams played the ball on the ground. Both, you know, both looked dangerous going forward. You jumped at the, the analysis early. Oh, I was really yeah. just asking if you thought we shaded it there. Well, I, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Yeah, yeah. I think we did shade it. So yeah. yeah. Next question. Okay. Second half took the lead through it in Aidan McGeady. Beauty he dribbled it past a couple, like kind of dribbled it along a couple of players. Yeah, he sort didn't of quite get sort of like them. sauntered his way across, yeah. feinted a bit, and then, then hit the pillar. Yeah, it was a, a wonderful finish right in front of the lads fans. I was very disappointed he didn't celebrate in front of the away mm. fans. I always, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's just me. I always want the away player because I imagine in my head when I score that goal for Sunderland in front of the UN I'm yeah. running into the UN almost like mm-hmm. I'm sliding in front of them I'm going nuts yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really not too late Connor you know yeah, you think, <laughs> you think it's still right, a drop a couple of stones you are right I, I, can, I can have a really good one and really bad one both at uh, St James's Park with that one where Brini scores the penalty and, oh, and goes on the stand that's as good as it gets I think uh, and then the St James's Park in the, in the 90s where the away fans were banned um, was that the 1-1 Mickey Gray yeah the 1-1 Mickey Gray Mickey Gray scored and didn't know it. He wanted to run the fans. There's no fans there, so he ran the centre circle. Weird. Yeah, I would have run to the manager. Me. Mm. That would be my. You, you got to go somewhere. You think you'd go yeah. to the manager? Like, oh, that's what I dream about at night. Yeah. That's, that's that's what I do. Lugo <laughs> uh, Nine came on and won a penalty, which I've seen some Plymouth fans whinging about that. And for me, it was a stormwaller. Oh, absolutely. Uh, McGeady then scored to make it two 0 again. Didn't really celebrate in front of the away fans. No, disappointing. two opportunities, two squandered. Yeah. Uh, so I want to start firstly with John McLaughlin because he made a couple of brilliant saves yesterday. Yep. So, I mean, really just how good has he been and how good was he yesterday? He, uh, he's been, I think he started the season quite average for a League One keeper. I think at first when we signed him, I thought, right, we've signed a pretty standard keeper. Which is fine because we yeah. had two, three Yeah, yeah, yeah because we had three absolute year. clowns on mm-hmm. a carousel last season. <laughs> So to have one competent goalkeeper, well, to have one what we thought was just a competent goalkeeper at the start, it was quite reassuring. I thought, okay, you know, we can get by with this guy. Might have to, might have to chuck him maybe when we're pushing for promotion in the championship. But forget to that. But as the seasons come on, he's just got exponentially better. And the past two or three games, especially, he's looked like an absolute world beater. That uh, save from that free kick in the second half yesterday is as good as any you'll see in the Premier League. So you know, if you've got a keeper who can do that, then you know, really, you've got a keeper fit for a team fitting top of this league. Graham, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think the keepers are so important. And, and Rob Mason, um, he's written a book about. He's, it's a, he's a big fan of that sort of the, the Sunderland number ones. Was the book? He's, he's so strong about how important keepers are. You, and I agree with him. Um, and you're, if you look back at last season with Camp and Steeling, uh, it's probably uh, Rob would probably say that's the worst season ever in the history of the club in terms of the quality of the goalkeepers. I agree, and, and no surprise that they went down. And McLaughlin's been brilliant, really good. I mean, sort of in our, the, the fans I talk to, I think uh, week by week they're more and more impressed by him, and he's he's saving your points. You penalties know? as well. He saved a couple. He's, of penalties, he's saving your points. So um, I think that's one position 
they don't have to worry about. He's the first keeper to save a penalty at the stadium like ever in a league game the other week. Do you think? Yeah, uh, I can't remember the game actually. I've played so many games now. But yeah, he did. That but was... he's a quality. He's, he's, he's you know. So sometimes I mean, uh, um, Reid talks in the book about signing Steve Bowles and said I, I, I knew I'd signed a really good player, but he had no idea how good. And they actually sort of watched him train and maybe sort of maybe fingers crossed. McLaughlin's one of those where Ross has signed what he thinks is a good goalkeeper. He turned out to be better than he thought. Yeah. Who do you think to? go over your time covering something who was actually the best keeper do you think we've had during your time covering them Tony Cotton would say him yeah <laughs> uh, but Tony Tony Cotton was a good goalkeeper we didn't see the, the best of him but injured, I, I, I think I'd say Sorensen um, yeah. I, I think I would say Sorensen and and uh, and, and there's a good contrast between saying Sorensen and Perez and Perez was probably one of the most spectacular goalkeeper I've Fun seen point. you know these sort of, <laughs> they're, they're, they're lion's mane and he sort of like rolled up arms that sort of stuff but it, technically it was a nightmare yeah, that, uh, that kit they had as well really helped yeah, to accentuate it at the yes, time didn't it yeah but the thing is is it sort of Sorensen was which, when you talk to goalkeepers they they say they say that when the, the the saves are almost the least important thing, it's all about your positioning, your awareness. It's all about organising your defence. Um, and the, and the argument would be that Lionel was making saves because he kind of had to, because he kind of messed up and he was he was redeeming himself. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Thomas, a lot of it, if you talk the back four, they really appreciate. Before Thomas got the injury, got an injury on international duty, a really bad one, um, which which didn't help him. Um, and I think his confidence went a bit from then, but certainly the first uh, three or four seasons was absolutely outstanding. And some of them have had really good goalkeepers. Always. Myra was a good, underrated goalkeeper. He didn't get a chance, but he, he, Myra was a good goalkeeper. Mark Poom just got sold Jordan Pickford, you know, which is a real, it still saddens me that that's, that's happened. But one thing some of them have had over the years, and you all go back to Monty and Roos and, uh, you know, quite almost at the start of the club, they've had fantastic goalkeepers who the fans have really appreciated, which made last season, you know, all the more heartbreaking because, geez, you know. Oh, well. uh, so hopefully McLaughlin is taking us back to where we normally are in terms of the club having good goalkeepers it's four consecutive clean sheets as well which mm-hmm. uh, is crazy yep. really considering we'd only kept, I think we'd only kept one prior to that run so yeah. he's getting he's just deserved now um, absolutely I so, think it's just a testament to the team clicking isn't it really it's solid it's a back four though it's not changing anymore you no. know like the, well the two centre backs anyway have probably played the last seven or eight games together yeah. and that that's huge I think if they're fit they're going to play that's, that's, I'm only thinking with three at the back early on a little bit but I think that's set now with those two certainly yeah Yeah. have we put, do you think perhaps benefited from Glenn Lewin's getting injured that's not to say that I've thought Glenn Lewin's been playing bad but we've often been swapping the team around because obviously you know he's, he's 34, 35 you know he's getting on he can't play three he can't play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday he's you know he's got to have rests and when we do rest him obviously we bring someone else in so maybe because he's been taken out by default through injury We've had Baldwin and Flanagan in the middle. Flanagan's took his chance with both hands. You know, he's cemented his place in the team. Have we perhaps benefited from not needing to swap a player because he's got all legs? I think it happens more often than you think in football. I think when you go back and you look at over the years and, and managers, managers who are honest will say, oh, well, I stuck him in there as a stopgap and I couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, even, for example, say Dave Watson, uh, 1973, uh, and then he went on to England, obviously FA Cup hero. He originally was a striker. Uh, I think it was Billy Elliott under uh, Bob Stoke who said, oh, you might actually be a better defender. Mm. And, and and literally, so there's a guy who's, who played quite a bit of his career as a striker, target man striker, suddenly became an outstanding defender. I think, he was, I think he was the player of the match at Wembley, but outstanding defender. And um, 
it, you know, it can happen. Managers will say, oh, we've, we've got no one for, for the slot, for the left back or the right back, or and he puts somebody in and it surprises them. So Richardson was the one back. He ended up at right back, left back, sorry, because we didn't have a left back. He just got put in yeah. there and he was really good. Yeah. yeah, he was right in the middle of the, the, the 15 years when we, when we went without a left back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, my managers sometimes, sort of like, usually they're honest. Usually they're honest and say, well, I, I, he's, I didn't expect him to play there, but he's. He, but when that happens, they love that. Managers love that. It's a kind of happy accident. Yeah. But what a what a problem it will solve for them. I still remember Steve Bruce trying Kevin Jones at centre back. That, that did not work. Yeah. Categorically well, did not. Usually, usually <laughs> they try, they, usually they try it in close season, you know, yeah. and um, they'll just experiment. I remember, I remember one pre, uh, pre season game I'd play where someone had lost, and you're trying to kind of, I was talking to Reedy, and you're trying to kind of like, you know, managers are always in a bad mood after they've lost, so you're always trying to be a bit diplomatic. Hmm. And I said, Oh, is there anything you've learned? from the game Peter and he was like yeah Jordy Craddock's not a left back <laughs> yeah, he played in a left back he didn't, he didn't, he, I've, I've cut the swear words out of that sentence but yeah but he, he tried he, you know the managers all managers try this little experiment and sort of uh, and usually they've got a pretty good uh, grasp of where people are going to play and where they can't but every now and again people like Alan Johnson moving from right wing to left wing and that was the making of him and these things happen mm-hmm. right let's move on to the goal scorer so, so Aidan McGeady uh, at Gav asks, who is our managing editor of Rogue Report. Is he? Yeah, the leader of Rogue Report. Uh, but I'm gunning for him. He's got six squad system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. That, that laugh masqueraded a very serious statement there. Yeah, yeah. serious tension. That's no, not really. I mean, Gav, I wouldn't want his job, to be honest. No. A lot no, of hours for not Far too watch. busy. Yeah. Uh, he asked anyway wouldn't mind hearing thoughts on Jack Ross's thinking outside the box style of Mandarin when most people watching could see at half time that McGeady was struggling Ross stuck with him and it paid off this is one occasion he seems to make decisions like this every week so what do you make of well McGeady's turnaround in the second half but also Jack Ross's game management I'll call it yeah I mean um, I don't really think McGeady had a, a, a turnaround of sorts I think he was consistently a, a bit underwhelming off the ball all game, but it just so happens with McGeady that if you give him half a chance on goal, he can just take it and he, he can just score a scrimmage from nowhere. I think he's just like that. I think I, I just don't think he's a very consistent player in general, but because he's got a goal in him, you can always justify having him in the team. So m- maybe Ross was aware of that. Maybe he sees that in training and thinks, you know what, I'll bide my time with McGeady. If I bring enough now, I, I, fo- I forfeit the chance of him scoring a perler. I'll leave him on, see what he does. If we get to 75, 80 minutes and he's done now, I'll bring him off. But fair play to Ross if that was his thinking because it, it paid dividends. You know, he put away a lovely goal to open the game, uh, converted a penalty, stuck it in the same place, won us the game, effectively. So, yeah. I think um, I think McGeady's one of those players where you always want him in the final third of the pitch. You don't want him on the halfway line. No, no. You want him up... You want him lurking around the box and you want to get the ball to him um, Grayson um, talks about, told me about when he bought him he really in this sort of championship level he really thought uh, McGeady was going to be his match winner uh, championship level. and actually he did uh, play well enough under, under Grayson um, but I think he's one of those he's, he's a frustrating player to watch because when he's when he's rubbish, he's rubbish. He feels, you know, uh, when he's not on song. But what you need to do is you need to give him the ball in dangerous positions. You should be told, don't come back to the halfway line. Just and then you should get the ball to him all the time. There are some players, and uh, Matt Latissi was one of those players where his teammates were just instructed, just give Latissi the ball all the time because if he doesn't get it, he loses interest. You know, and uh, McGee reminds me of that sort of type of player where you need him in an attacking position and just feed him the ball because he can always score your yeah. goal. 
Maybe just tell him, you know, you're an inside forward, not a winger. Mm-hmm. You know, try and make his role as offensively oriented as possible. Make him much like a striker without being a striker, which you can do. That goal way yesterday, where he's got, he, he pulled, you know, shooting it was a corner sort of stuff. That was, uh, that's just having that inventiveness mentally when you're up front. Not many people can do that. It's a skill, it's a talent. So you don't want to have that squandered by him being near the halfway line, or as you say, out on the wing so much. Mm-hmm. Get him near the goal area. Is he a luxury player then? Yes, I would say so. Well, uh, all good, all teams are a combination. Are combinations, aren't they? So you have got your workhorses and you've got your your short ponies, and it's just getting that balance right. Mm. I would say in this league, um, given the squad Sunderland have got, anyone who can win them a game, you know, and there's no shortage of legs in this side. There's no shortage of young, willing workers and young players. But I think that. Um, that's a call for Jack Ross. We're talking about judgment calls. That's a call for Jack Ross come January. Um, and we'll have to look at what, what happens with Duncan Watmore as well. I mean, what, what, Duncan deserves to be a success. He's an exemplary professional, an exemplary human being. Uh, and he's a, he's a really impressive character and very, very sad um, in terms of his injuries. We'll have to see how he comes back. You know, sometimes players, you know, sometimes, well, players didn't used to come back from that sort of injury, you know, in, in the old days. Um, we'll have to wait and see how he comes back. Hopefully he comes back really you know in good shape if he does maybe the Ross thinks about cashing in on McGee maybe not but I'd like to see him keep him because I think he'll he'll win your games yeah I think ultimately I would say McGee's flair and creativity is something that you know as we saw on on uh, on well on well yesterday it can win you a game but ultimately we do have other players I think capable of the same sort of fundamental talent for a winger and all things being equal come the end of the season you might be able to look back and think right McGeady's contributions could be seen as surplus you know like the dynamics he offers to a team can be viewed as something that's nice to have but we could do without you know we, uh, you know, a, a, fit, a fit what more Maguire Sinclair they can all you know chip in and do the job that we want for our sort of our spearhead going yeah. forward I think it's where Jack Ross's man and management comes in as well sort of if it, the very best of McGeady is an absolute match winner. Oh, yeah. And you, and you want him in your side. But if he's going to have those frustrating five or six games where he's doing very little, mm. then he's a luxury player and you don't want yeah. him. So it's a good question of what, whether Jack Ross can bring it out of him. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, obviously, well, I mentioned game management, but you look back at the games recently, how many times Ross, I think, won us the game with tactical decisions. And I don't think we've had a manager at Sunderland for a good while that has been able to think, right, I'm going to take off Madger and bring on Gooch at Shrewsbury. And then that is actually... You know, at the time I was like, why is he doing that? He's taken off a goal scorer. Gooch comes on and then causes havoc and gets with the goals. Yeah, we've, so come, a long way from, we've come a long way from uh, Moyes bringing on Billy Jones on the 85th minute when we're 2-0 down. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It is, a, it is a frustrating thing. And when you're in the press box, you hear what the fans are thinking and you're obviously walking the same streets and drinking the same pubs. Uh, and you hear that a lot. You know, when you sort of... When you, when, people are scratching their heads saying why did he do that and what's he doing that sort of stuff and then uh, that is one of the heartening things about Jack Ross coming here is that you're hearing none of that and if you think about it you probably should because it's new league it's new country for him really in a way a completely new team you thought he'd be making more mistakes than he is but he's really impressive he's hitting them out of the park every time isn't he Mm -hmm. at the minute I think he learned a lot to be fair from that Burton defeat where it just didn't click that day and I think from then we've been a bit more streetwise I think yeah. probably the right way of putting it um, been a lot less complacent from the start that was the last game really when we uh, conceded an early goal isn't it yeah it was just well, every I mean, we've, game we've was conceded the same, like wasn't three it? since then so uh, we've got a question here from 
DC SCFC golfer. So I don't know if he's a fan of the comics and loves some golf. Well, I listen to the Rogue Report podcast. Must plenty be plenty of evidence in the using him. <laughs> uh, he says, "Time to sell Cats of Yedo McGeady as we have enough cover from new players who've settled." Question mark. And then he clarifies, so with the new players settling and now performing, is it likely that Katz and Oviedo will both be sold in the January window? That'll save 50 to 60. I think it's going to be probably more than that a week, but more like 80 grand a week. Mm -hmm. For me, we have adequate enough quality to let them go for a good price worth discussing. So initially when I got sent this question, I was like, no. But then when he's clarified his point, I sort of understand where he's coming from a little bit. So, I mean, what do we make of... I think Oviedo is the obvious one to get rid of, um, mm-hmm. but Katz as well, if a good offer came in, would it make sense to sell him? In my, I think, I suppose, hierarchy of players to sell, I would have Oviedo at the top. I think for a full-back on those weirdest for League One, when we've got Reese James, who's, you know, done a perfectly good Denver job, Hume. and Denver Hume, who's looked very promising, I think, well, you know, we, we don't we don't need three, I don't think. I think we'll probably be able to get by all right without three three left backs so Oviedo can go I think just for sheer wages I would imagine Catamol's on a bit more than McGeady but I think I'm not sure I think they're both I think they're just both yeah. worth keeping yeah yeah I think Catamol's on more wages but Catamol is in a more vital position for me I don't I think I don't quite trust Max Power with suspensions at the moment I, I, I you know I'm not that's not to say I think he's going to get any more red cards but it's just it just it it, it, does, it, it doesn't now. it doesn't sit with me that he's had two red cards in about five appearances. That that's that 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 doesn't sit well with me. So I would say sell Oviedo definitely and sell one of the two of Catamol and McGeady, but I think selling all three is gonna leave us a bit light on the ground. So that's just how I see it. Graham, where are you at with this? Uh, I think it all depends what's what's happening in the background that we don't know about. I mean, I know that uh, the amount of, of money the club's trying to save is phenomenal. Um, and um, it's an awful, I mean, literally, it's like writing on both sides of the of the notepad sort of uh, you know carrying your paper clips kind of uh, down the forensic saving every penny thing. So um, it depends where they are fi- financially. Um of the three, Oviedo will be the one you'd sell. He's a, he's a, a defender and as it's been mentioned. Probably really, the biggest market as well for him. And I really like Denver Humes. I think Denver Humes is a really promising young player. Um, so you could probably do without Brian if you, if you, you know, if you're pushing at it. I think uh, I wouldn't want to sell Lee Catamore. I wouldn't want to sell Ian McGee. I really like Lee Catamore when he's on song. When he's on song, he should stroll this division. He should stroll the championship, in all honesty. I think with Catamore, he's had an awful lot of injuries. Um, and with Lee Catamore, I've watched him for years. Once he gets a run of games, once he gets four or five or six games under his belt and he starts to kind of get his, his touch and his field back, he can di- dictate games very easily. Um, I know sort of uh, he's not uh, the, the most, you know, prettiest player to watch but he's he's underrated with his passion as well I can't believe he's added goals to his game this season that's, that surprised me but I just think he can be, he can be a heartbeat of your team and he's he's quite respected by the players and he's he's been there he's mm-hmm. been his confidence all these senior players remember and it's a very youthful side all these senior players Oviedo McGeady Catamol they've been there they've played in the premiership they've got that bit of the young players will look up to them so if you can hold on to them financially I would do what I would say is if you do get rid of Oviedo that the money's ploughed back into the January window. I think the January window is crucial. So I'd say that as long as as long as Jack Ross gets the money that is either saved um, or which any transfer fees he gets from any of these players, um, 
that's the cr- crucial thing for me. But I'd like to see Katz and possibly McGeady still at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, what is Oviedo going to be on a week? I think it's 42. It's 40-something, isn't it? I think it's 42, yeah. You, you sell Catamore were on like 60 in the Premier League, so it came down to 42. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, Amir. Amir, yeah. 42. So together with um, yeah. McGeady as well, lot. you're probably talking about 100 to 110. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think two of the three have got to go. And 42 million, you know, you, you sell him and suddenly you're freeing up that much on the wage bill. You can, you can, re, you know, you can relocate a tenth of that and you can sign a good player for this division. I mean... There's talk of that uh, Jaden Stockley from Exeter, who's you know like a a really promising young forward. You know you could tempt him to Sunderland for what five k a week. I'm sure. I think the word though two of the three have got to go. I mean Stuart Donald said that they don't actually have to get rid of anybody. No, they the don't. But I think it's it's best to if you're gonna sort of if 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 you want to improve the squad on where it is. I mean I don't know where we're gonna be come January. I don't know if we're gonna be. Six points clear of of whoever's in second, or if we're going to, if Portsmouth, Peterborough, Barnsley going to have a resurgence and we're going to drop our form, we might be in a position where we're thinking, right, you know, we've there are some spots where we're not necessarily weak, but we need to improve to define ourselves from the teams in and around us. So if we sell someone like Oviedo, who we don't necessarily need, alongside Catamol or McGeady, one of the two, then you know you can you can re- reinvest ten percent of the wages, you know, make a significant net gain on selling them and have players you know, that Ross deems fit to improve the squad on where it is. I think you made a good point about the young striker as well. You might, you might be looking for. What's crucial to me is that at the end of January, the team is strong, the squad is stronger than it was at the beginning of January. So yeah. if, you, if you have to sacrifice Oviedo with his qualities, um, because you generate the money to bring in that young striker or, or that centre half or that, whoever it is that Jack Ross is looking for maybe a target man uh, strike is probably something we're lacking at the moment uh, as long as the money is used to strengthen the squad and as long as you can look back in January and say oh okay we lost Oviedo lost McGeady maybe even lost all three but look who we've got now and we're mm-hmm. better for it yeah. that's the key thing Sally that's be a, a plan in place if you do sell them you don't yeah. don't sell them for the sake of just freeing up wages because then we are you know if 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 uh, if if we don't get someone over the line because yeah. a plan wasn't in place in good time, you are going to, as you say, end the, the January window yeah. weaker, which is absolutely not what you want. Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no joy in going, oh, what a great window, we've saved three or four million pounds, or mm-hmm. McGeady's gone, or our match winner's gone, Catamore's gone, you know, we, we can dictate a game, you know, sort of we've lost all those, but hey, the, the money's better. Yeah, yeah, like what have you, you've saved it great, what have you saved it for? Yeah. You know, yeah, what, think, what, what does it achieve? <laughs> but also you've got to think, you know, they're going to be aiming for the championship, obviously, you, do you want to get rid of players like Catamol McGeady when you're about to go into the championship? I mean, they would be players again. If you were in the championship, you'd be like, yeah, we'll target them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for six months to pay them the money they're on, mm-hmm. Stuart Donald said it himself, it doesn't look that bad when they're in the the championship and you're gunning towards mm-hmm. the Premier League. You, you can justify paying Catamol 42 grand. Well, maybe you can't justify it, but at least it's easier to digest. Things yeah. on that sort and of to be way. fair to the owners, they've done a fantastic job in in shifting the number of players have shifted and the wage then and, and drop the wage bills. I mean if the if the Gillibodgy thing works out well, which I fingers crossed it will and I, I believe it will, but if the if the Gillibodgy thing works out well and, and Dong's gone all, all these players, they've already saved a colossal amount of money. You know. It's, it is you think about where they were uh when they came in and the players they had and the way the club was to where they are now. I mean it's short and cheese in it and six months to do what they've done and to be competitive at the top of a division. Well, what's incredible is, I mean, I, I, that was where I learned quite a bit from talking to Grayson. Uh, and he's quite honest about a lot of the stuff. 
and you just think, what a mess. <laughs> what an absolute shambles. The, and it was a shambles before Grayson got there. For, you know, the, the Moyes. I mean, if you ask who's his most disappointing manager, I don't know, Martin O'Neill possibly because of what everyone thought he was going to be the new Clough. That was a, you know, that was a dream. Um, so that was a shame, but Moyes, I honestly thought when David Moyes came in, suddenly had a fantastic manager, he sought them out. But what a, you know, what was he thinking about? Just those, just take those two there, Jilla Bodgie, yeah. 8 million for Jilla Bodgie and uh, was 14 million for right. Dong. Did he hear record signing and Dong? Record signing, yeah, you know, <laughs> when, you, when you point your record signing, I don't mind if you're pointing your know, Darren Bent or Asimo Oceano or, or some of these players. Didier and Dong. I mean, that's the high watermark yeah. of ineptitude in terms of of, of payment. Yeah. So, and, and, and then it wasn't just the fact that they, they overpaid for these players. It was they weren't very good either. And, and Grayson says in the book, I'm, I'm watching these players in training and thinking, because I said to him, I said, look, I know they didn't play well in the games, but was it a case of there were world beaters in training like you didn't sometimes get? And he said, no, no, weren't very good in training either. <laughs> so you just think, you know, how much money has been wasted? And I think if there's one thing which I. I all the years I covered Sunderland, the saddest thing for me is that we had good managers who didn't have the money and then we had some pretty ropey managers who got fortunes. And if you could have just married that, you know, I mean, what would Jack Ross feel like now if he had an even half decent budget? Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not sort of decrying the, the budget he's got. I'm just saying, though, you know, the, the budget that other managers... If you had the, if, under, if you had the budget that David Moyes had, yeah. for example, I yeah. mean, obviously in League One, that would be incredibly ludicrous. You know, I mean, you could give... You could give me that money, and I'd, I'd win your League One here with thirty million. But you don't, you don't need to spend a fortune in this, in this division, not in League One. I mean, sort of, we were talking cats a while back, and I remember before Graham Kavanagh came to to Sunderland, he was very much of a catamore style player playing for Stoke City in that division in League One. A few, a few, some years ago, and he was bossing every game because he was at a level above. And when Keane came in and he bought those six players um, in, he just bought players who should have been in a higher division, and, and they weren't, you know. Okay, Dwight York was household name, but he's at the end of his career. But he didn't have to spend that much money to get out of a division. Um, and I think the same with Jack Ross. And I think I'm being really impressed by how he's gone about it. You know what I mean? Sort of. But um, if they can get that budget up, that's 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 to me the one thing we're still waiting for from Stuart and Charlie Metvin is if if they can get that kind of can they raise a budget to help Jack Ross get over the line this season and, and maybe next. Madger was quiet yesterday. Um, obviously, I think it was his first start since his injury. Um, but what do we make of his season so far? With nine goals, you know, I mean, it's a lot for a nineteen-year-old. I don't know if any teenagers have scored at that rate yet for Sunderland in, in their history. I mean, you probably know more than me, Graham. But. Bridges, Bridges was. Uh... He never playing regularly though, was it? Because he was always kept up by. By Phillips, yeah. but but mm-hmm. when but when he played, I mean, there was a, a buzz of excitement every time. I mean, I, mean, I don't think Matcha's got that. I think maybe he lacks a bit of pace, Matcha. Um, but I and you'll have to judge him across the course of a season. I mean, you can go back through the history books, and this is not again not to decry Matcha, but you'll have people who've come in and have had a purple patch, have scored a few goals, Steve and then they Fletcher. kind of yeah, and then they, or, well, there's there's loads of them who at the time they'll have that they'll have that. 10 dozen games where they're on fire and then they kind of drift away. I mean, uh, Graben can be a bit like that. You know, um, there's no surprise that Bournemouth were trying to flog Graben last season because he'd never had a patch like that in his career. I and mean, when you actually look at, at Graben, he tends to score his goals in bursts, but that spell at Sunderland, he had a fantastic time. And mm-hmm. Bournemouth obviously trying to sell him straight away because they thought, well, this is not going to last, you know. Um, so I think you've got to do it over a, um, a longer period of time. But for the 
lad to be scoring a number of goals he's scored so far you've got to give him full credit and rather than kind of saying can he do this we've just got to kind of hope, fingers crossed back him to do it because teenagers scoring those goals great yeah. and the speculation now about which is always going to be are other clubs going to come in for him while, his you know, contract's up yeah, the, yeah, and, which is a worry the, the, the same way, but even then same with Bally now I've, I've seen that and he's just signed you know he's signed, just signed a contract but that will not stop people coming in for them Um but no, I think that's that's one of the highlights of the season. What well, might just been able to get all those goals? Incredible. Uh, Honeyman played deep yesterday. He did. He's played that role a couple of times this season. Second half against Charlton springs to mind where he dropped into centre midfield. But what do we make of his performances in recent weeks after he was injured, then dropped for a few games? Um, you know, he seems to have looked more like the player we thought he was going to be at this level. I think he's come back into it, and he's probably played his best football this season. For coming back from his injury, I think the past couple of games he's been, you know, his usual sounds almost like a cliche, his usual industrious self, you know, the the kind of self that scores him a six out of ten, <laughs> that kind. But no, I think he's he's hit he's hit above um uh, he's hit above the the usual sort of like average mark he would he would get, you know, he sort of hits above that I think running joke. Give him a seven. He got a seven, yeah, yeah, which suggests that he is indeed above average. <laughs> yeah. So you know. <laughs> You know, it is what it is, but yeah, no. Match marks players hate match marks, yeah. do they? Yeah, well, the one thing they hate is match marks. Right, right. Did you well. enjoy doing player ratings? Uh, I didn't enjoy it. Um, Did you ever I, get any stick? Oh yeah, all the time. All the, the time. Players, I tell you, players hate match marks. They really do, and they're sort of like you know, they can hold it against you. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, six months later, you give me a five, and then sort of stuff. You know. Yeah, remind um, me to never speak to a player using my real name. Well, <laughs> well, I remember. Um, I remember. And there's a good story about Frank Johnson, who's an old Neko journalist. I don't know if you saw him, he died recently, just died a few weeks yeah, ago. I saw that. So I went to his funeral and we had a lot of reminiscence about Frankisms because he was he's one of those real characters, 78, 78 year old when he died. And uh, he used to love giving match marks out because he, he was, you know, so and there's a, there's a, I'll let you know, see, there's a wide, and you'll know yourself from giving match marks out, there's a wide disparity between those people who, take their match marks very seriously those journalists and for them it's kind of so important and, for, right. for, and some play a bit fast and loose for a lot of the nationals you know they have to give the, the match marks have to be given over on the hour so sometimes an hour into a game you have to give your match marks so sometimes when you pick them appear and think hey how's he got that often it's because the reporter's has given it after the hour and hasn't seen the player send off or whatever it is mm. but Frank I think Frank had an argument once with Eric Gates I think it was and Eric uh, this, this is the story that's told because Eric was playing those days and obviously he came from that out of the woods so he'd get the Northern Echo which is Frank's and and uh, he pulled Frank because he was always getting stinking match marks it might have been the relegation season when they went down to the third division and he pulled Frank and said to the trainer Frank how come I'm always getting crap match marks and Frank said I'll let you into a secret he says when every player takes that field they start on 10 and I'll mark them down as the game goes on, mm. he said, "You, you start on nothing," <laughs> <laughs> and he walked away. Uh, so, I mean, sort of like the match marks is always contentious, and every, and every every player, every player will quibble about it. But it's, uh, I think, the match marks aren't the important thing. It's just, you know, sort of, but mm. I do know that ego-wise, players. Gary Rowell said, "If you got a bad match, if you got a bad match mark, he said, I never used to go out the weekend." He said, like, "If I got a five or a four, it wasn't worth going out because I get really? stick from people who hadn't beat them. I hadn't hadn't beaten the game." Saying, "Heard you were crap, Gary." Like, no. Did it all right, and then another thing is, she's always difficult as well. Is uh, I mean, Bobby Kerr. Bobby Kerr said, um, and this is his point about the match marks. He would sometimes be given a man marking job, um, and Bob Stewart would say, "You've got to 
this guy's too good for us. You've got to mark him out of the game. Just stick with him. Don't move. That was the game plan. And Bobby would do that and then win the game and get hugs off Bob Stoko. Uh, you've run us the game. You did that job. You never got a kick. You've been brilliant. And then you pick up the echo on Monday or whatever it was and it'd be like, Bobby Kerr for quiet game. So you get that all the time from, mm. from players. See, that's why George Winwin doesn't come out. It's your match ratings. Yeah, that's me. That's why he's not left the house um, uh, since <laughs> since he um, uh, since he was um, appointed captain. No, he's going to be walking up and down the Weir Mouth Bridge tomorrow. He's like, I got a seven. He'll be out in Annabelle's or wherever the uh, the modern equivalent is. <laughs> yeah, you probably have like a bell with like a sign. <laughs> I got a seven. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding. I think what, yeah. what I would say is that uh, with the, the, these players, you know, Honeyman, Gooch, Madge, all these players, they're, they're really, really young. You know, really young, mm-hmm. and and uh, so we sh- we shouldn't. I know we've got you've, everyone's got to give them match marks, but they should get credit for what they're doing. I know it's League One, but they should get credit um, for for performing the way they are. And they're only young, so they will get better. I think Sunderland will be a stronger team as the season goes on because these players will get better because they're playing competitive football mm-hmm. regularly, sort of stuff. So we shouldn't forget how well the young players have done for Sunderland. Yeah. I'm quite surprised at how much they actually care about player ratings. I mean. It's just me, but I think if I was a professional footballer and I picked up a, a, a paper or just like read a read a blog and, you know, someone gave us a six out of ten or a five out of ten, I think, right, yeah, well, I mean, I'm a professional footballer. You know, I, from a professional standpoint, I know the game better than you do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I play it as my trade. You know, I mean, that, that's not to say that only professionals can have opinions on professionals that are valid. Yeah. But I just think as a, as a footballer, I'd, I'd be fairly happy to just dismiss what a what a... But what if, a, if a you says. think though, back in the day when Graham's covering something in 1999 or 1989, there isn't Twitter, there isn't thingy. The, the thing that they've no. got to cover the game is literally yeah. the echo. And if you didn't go to that match, yeah, you've got to read the very, echo. Very, very true. That is the talking point, isn't it? Yeah. For very true. And it was it was a different era back then. I remember once uh, I went on holiday during the season, unforgivable. I, but I was at Newcastle Airport and uh, I picked up it was the Chronicle. And a match report was written there by like called Tony Hodgson, and it, it came home to me actually actually because I'd never ask anyone's opinion, never had to ask anyone's opinion about a match because I was always there and I had my own opinions. Mm-hmm. But if you don't go to the match and you pick up the paper and the paper is the only source you've got, you've got to think well that's what happened in the match, yeah. you know, sort of like you know, and then and you believe every word and the match marks are part of that. You've got so. nothing else to go on. Like yeah. you, you have to accept that as yeah. But you're right; it's a different world now. And I imagine I would hope the players have a bit of a thicker skin because mm. you know the Twitter sphere and, and Facebook and the rest of it. It's yeah. pretty. I mean, it's, it's it can be a sewer. Let's be honest; it can yeah. be pretty ugly. You know what I mean? It so can. You, and the, I think a lot of them, maybe especially the younger ones, definitely do care. I mean. I remember last season, um, uh, Tyus Brown and him boxed um, uh, Lawson <laughs> to say like, oh, no, no, them, uh, you've marked us down for that. But that was actually Jay Clark Salter who did that, not me. Yeah, yeah he did. It was, yeah. it was my mistake for the second yeah. goal. It, was it wasn't even Lawson's report either. It was mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it happens more from the thing. I think sort of it's confusion. Of things, you'll know that as well because, I mean, I was telling you before we started that I Twitter trolled you when I was younger and yeah. Yeah. showed you the Everyone clip. has. Yeah, everyone has. still bears the scars to these days, Connor. He's actually yeah. only on here now to exact his revenge. I know, when Gav says that like, Graham Allison's coming on, I was like, really? Oh, you're going to remember something? I'm not really going to remember it. But I mean, it's all right. like, but I mean, I, I did, it's, everyone gets stick, you know, and, uh, but I do, it's, I do feel sort of sometimes for the players because we've all seen, you'll have had stick and you'll have had oh, stick, I've you know. Many years, oh, many and it, right. it kind of goes with the territory, but sometimes it can be, uh, you know, just it can be a bit OTT. And uh, mm. like you say, you forget the players, you you, know, you you forget. I mean, Stephen Elliott's a friend of mine, the, uh, the striker, um, former striker, 
And I, and he was in book two, and I, don't know, I flew over to Dublin and interviewed him for book two. Mm. He was great. Um, but what you forget is when he was scoring those goals for Sunderland, he was 20, 20 21 year old. Mm. He was kind of a kid, essentially. And I think that is that assumption when you're watching men on the pitch to man's game and all that sort of stuff, you forget that sort of someone can just like literally be a year or two out of school, you know, no. 17, 18, yeah, 19. Yeah, yeah. Or doing their GCSEs as Ballymumbo was last year. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's crazy that like Captain that. in the club. <laughs> I know. I mean, sort of like that night, was unreal, to be fair. Like. Night, night matches, yeah. he had to get permission to stay up from his mum. No. Mm. Scary. Really? Wow. <laughs> 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 uh, so we talked a little bit about Honeyman there, but what about his midfield partner, McGeoch? And, I mean, I think he's getting better every week, but Power's going to be coming back, Catamore's going to be pretty much back soon, so mm. we're going to have an interesting situation where there's them three and, you know, McGeoch's done nothing wrong, Catamore's not really done anything wrong. No. Power has actually done stuff wrong, even though he's probably the, yeah, the is, best is that, of the three. Yeah, his actual gameplay, apart from getting sent off, has been great. But Yeah, so oh, it's yeah. an interesting decision. I mean, how how would you, if I was going to give you the... You're Jack Ross right now. Mm-hmm. How do you approach that situation? Well, ignoring the fact that I'm obviously a very big Honeyman stan, let's let's just Is table Honeyman's that for not now. Be in there. Sorry, Honeyman going to get in the start. Well, Honeyman and McGeoch have been playing well together. Well, Honeyman and McGeoch played well together on Saturday, and I think what particularly impressed me was the fact that Honeyman seemed to be able to play his same sort of like pressing, high pressing, intercepting sort of industrious game. You know, he, he would he would chase around the tackles. You know, he would get forward with the team, spearhead the attacks, just as he did while he was playing a more offensive role naturally. But he still seemed to do that yesterday while also playing his deeper role. So I think that's really just a testament to his energy. And I think, as we said, it's a testament to the fact that you know he can play a more a more quiet role. You know, he can do he can make substantive contributions that don't necessarily go noticed because what he does doesn't involve creating the goals or scoring them or making saves or you know making blocks on the line. But what he is doing in the middle of the park, you know, is steering the ship it's carrying things over and he's done all of that he's essentially done his same role but from a deeper position where it can also adapt another role alongside McGeoch so for me I'd, I'd keep him in alongside alongside Dylan and just see how they get on next week obviously you've got options if need be if it's not quite working you can push him up you can take him off it's Paul Vale next week though so will he drop the two of them to give I, I, no I'd keep them I'd keep them together just to see if they could do the same thing again you know I'd like to see if, if Funnyman maybe could sort of keep that energy on a consistent basis, maybe. But obviously, as I say again, if it doesn't look like it's working, then that's a good game to sort of trial it. And if it's not quite coming off, then you can you can stick cut them all back there. You can push them up. You can take them off, and you can put power on. You know, the the, the options are, are you know fairly limitless, really, with all these players coming back. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how we get on. Game, what do you think? Do you think the the midfield pair isn't set, or do you think Max Power and Lee Catamull jump back in when they're fit? I think I think there's the curse of the water carrier. Where sort of you know, I mean, it's, I remember Paul Thirlwell and uh, we used to get the same sort of stick local lad who came through and did all the hard work, but was pretty much invisible sometimes to the players. Mm-hmm. Say, well, what did you do, sort of stuff? But then the manager would say, well. When the left back raced forward, he covered the left back. So, yeah. when, they, so when they counter attacked, he mm-hmm. was there. So, and, and those players are kind of uh, really valued by the teammates. Mm-hmm. They're never spectacular. And sometimes you'll have, to, you'll have players saying, I wonder why he's in the team. There's been a few mm-hmm. players I, I can say, I can think of where I wonder why he's in the team. But the managers know that they keep the discipline, they yeah. keep the shape, they keep the right things, of, that it, you know, the, the, the unsung heroes of the team. Um, I would think that he might leave those two in. Initially, but he'll be itching to get Catamol back in. He'll probably be itching to get power in. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how these these players have been in training. I imagine that Power, having got himself out of the side through his own 
stuff yeah. yeah will be itching to kind of prove himself so he might be, oh, he might be playing really well in training we, these are the things we don't see so he might be playing really well in training and uh, Ross might be think, it would be an interesting choice for Ross because he'll have to think well Catlin Mall Power is arguably my best central pair and if they're both fit do I throw them back in but what does that do to the motivation of the two players who've done nothing wrong so far so he'll probably look at it and think um I have to choose whether I'm loyal to the players who've done well and haven't let me down or whether I play what I think is my best 11, you know, sort of from the start um, and the other players just have to suck it up. I think he'd be tempted to leave those two in and then but have those have Callum Wall and Power on the bench and the moment he thinks the intensity's dropping or isn't happening, they'll be on. Ballymumba, 17, just signed a new deal. I mean, where do we think he's going to be, you know, in a few years' time? Do you think... He seems to have his feet well grounded. He seems to, you know, he's a local lad as well. I think he mm. lives in South Shields. But do you think he will get his head turned by Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool? Or do you think he'll be... I really hope not. Not not because... Well, not not mainly because we'll be losing what could potentially be a very good player in the future. But because these, you know, these, these clubs, they just they, they take young talent as commodities and they ruin them. You know, look at Jack Rodwell. Look at, look at Scott Sinclair. Look at... You could... You can name God knows how many. You know that a lot of these clubs will just sort of pick They'll up young players. Yeah, they'll pick up great players, put them on ridiculous money. You know, give them very little life skills outside of football. You know, they'll have they'll have all the sort of neon lights coming at them at once, and you know, twenty five percent of them actually make it. So, I'd, from an ethical standpoint, I would say no. I wouldn't want them to go. What I would like to see Mumba do in the next two or three years is get a nice string of loan spells together. You know, much like Pickford did when he was coming through the ranks. You know, start. Start say in the in the national league, you know, work your way up a division each season if you are improving at that level, until eventually he's turning up for the first team if he's good enough. That's what I would want to see. I'd want to see him. I'd want to see him have stability. I'd want to see him progress at a very natural rate. I wouldn't want to see a dramatic sort of a dramatic jump in his career trajectory. I wouldn't want to see him jump into a into a a top four Premier League club that you know will will promise him so much, promise him the stars, and you know. In reality, he might fall short of the ceiling. I don't really know how he's going to go. I've not seen enough of him to really gauge his talent. But yeah, um, I want him to I want him to turn out like Pickford to summarise, and not like Rodwell. <laughs> and obviously, one one path will be to have a nice bunch of loans with us. The other would be to get his head turned by a big team. It's interesting that you mentioned loans, though, when he's played first team football for Sunderland, and he always looks. Com- he looks good at this level, so I mean, he does. But he's only would played. Do you want a- to throw him down into the conference? He's only played a few times. I think in his sort of inaugural games, you're probably going to see him, you know, give his all. And when you when you see a 17 year old lad giving his all and, and holding his own, you naturally will think, oh yeah, yeah, he's, he's doing pretty well. But I think if you, I think at this stage, you know, in his in his career in his life, if he's playing every week or if he's playing more or less every week, then. You know, he's, he's probably we're probably going to start to think right. Maybe he's at his depth a bit here. You know, like I say, I, that, that's just that's just me. That that's just my conjecture. I don't know for certain if that's going to be the case, but I just think that you know maybe we'll look at him if he's playing regularly and think oh, I don't know. He could probably do with a bit more experience at a lower lower level, maybe where the stakes aren't as high, where he isn't in front of thirty thousand every week. He could probably benefit from a, a spell with uh, I don't know Bromley Town. I'm, I, I, I just I just looked at you and I thought of the first thing came to mind. Yeah. the logical one. Gates said the logical one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was looking at you and I was thinking uh, Bromley. club law Bromley yeah. Bromley Bromley. There we go. Yeah. That's a club. Good team. Good <laughs> yeah, team. yeah. I, was, I, think, I mean, this, this is super close to my heart because I, I love to see homegrown players coming through, and um, my experience is that 
if they are homegrown, they have that passion that you can't you can't buy. You know, I mean, sort of. No. I remember, I remember that uh, I was getting words back last season that Jordan Pickford would rather still be a Sunderland. You know, he's a Sunderland fan, Sunderland daft. You know, he plays for Everton. He's a professional. Yeah, he's welcome but back. He, he'd, he'd rather, you know, and and Jordan Henderson, massive Sunderland fan, and. Uh, I, you go back to say Martin Smith and Michael Bridges and these sort of young players coming through and um, some of them never really made the, the best of them I, I personally was against selling Jordan Henderson for 20 million to Liverpool and uh, I, wrote, I wrote a piece sort of saying some of them will never be the big club we want to be unless we can hold on to these homegrown players who live and breathe Sunderland and um and build a team around them. Uh, and Steve Bruce would disagree with me. Steve, some of them, Steve Bruce, and he almost fell in the swimming pool when uh, Kenny Aglish offered twenty million for uh, Jordan Henderson. And at the time, it was politic to sell Jordan. And, and interest, I was always a big fan of Jordan's and what he does on the pitch. And a lot of fans weren't. But is he worth twenty million now? Jordan Henderson is worth a hell of a lot more than that. You know, I mean, Pickford's gone for twenty, thirty million. He could go for 40, 50 in a few years' time. You know what I mean? So I like that. Probably 67. Yes, right yes. Mm. So I, I oh, like so, Absolutely. And, and by the way, he's got no sell on clause in his contract. Oh, no. So, you know, which is <laughs> just great. again, great. Heart, heart, heartbreaking, yeah. you know. Imagine the windfall that could have generated. Oh. Uh, but I like to hold on to the, as the homegrown players as much as you possibly can do. I mean, I mean it broke my heart in the uh, watching England play with Pickford in goal and Henderson. And you're thinking those two should have. Jordan Pickford Sunderland, Jordan Henderson Sunderland, you know. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a parallel world where they do. Yeah, I know, I know. And so so the home, homegrown players, I like to hold them as long as you can do. And I think that there may be sort of some of the quality of performance you're getting from some of the players, young players in League One this season, probably because they are playing for Sunderland and they want to play for Sunderland and their family are watching them and their friends are watching them. It's a big thing. Uh, I think the, the Ballymumbo one, that'll be an interesting one for um, for the owners. I think that'll be an interesting test for the owners. I mean, they, they, they've kind of they're riding the crest of wave at the moment, um, but there'll be, be a big test of their resolve. What happens if they, you know, I think they are? They've done really well, but they are businessmen as well, and they wouldn't say they're not. You know, they're, they're in this for a reason. But I like the fact that they're upfront about that. You know, uh, I, I would I respect them more for the fact that they say that, that Oxford's their club, and they don't try to pretend. You know, sort of, oh, I'm, I'm red and white now. I mean, Martin Bain was, you know, I, he came in and he was like, oh, I'm doing his red and white sort of stuff. You know, I think yeah, well, if you join up, switch a bit, it would be blue, and if you join, yeah. you know, that's that sort of stuff. I mean, he's they've, they've been honest and said, you know, we're in this kind of it's a business sort of thing now. If Say Man City and you're right, so they, they they come in and they'll spend a few million on these prospects. They hoover them up. Uh, it's often not for the good of those players. They'll have to be a world beater to try and get into those teams. And they can. I've I've seen generations of Sunderland players who are in the reserves and they almost become a professional reserve. And they can still be there 23, 24, some of them in the old days. And it's it's a, it's a waste of their careers. Ballymumber will be best served staying at Sunderland. There's no shadow of a doubt about that. And he probably believes that himself. But what happens if that offer comes in for 2.5 million or 3 million from a, a Manchester City or a, a Chelsea? Mm. What do you do if you're uh, if the owners? Do you think, well, what, you know, it's, it, it'll be a test for them, really. So I'll be I'll be watching, uh, you know, those sort of developments. Yeah, and even as a well, actually, maybe two points. First of all. Steve Bruce falling in a swimming pool, really funny image. <laughs> Secondly, um, yeah, I think even if Mumba himself, or you know, maybe if he's been advised to be, to believe, if he doesn't already, that a move to a, a big club now wouldn't be beneficial in the long run. As a 17-year-old, imagine if you're 17 now, you know, you're playing pretty well for Sunderland, you've not featured that that much. So, you know, people have had very little to go on, but what the fact that go on's very promising, so it just looks like you're doing you know, you can do no wrong as it stands. And suddenly, you know, in come Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea Football Club want to sign you. The same Chelsea that are in the top 
Yeah. Where are they now in the league, Chelsea? Oh, I don't know what the scores right now. Oh, well, They'll be top four at the minute. Let's, let's say third. Well, that's <laughs> it. Well, and then suddenly Chelsea, third in the Premier League, want to sign me. They want they they Chelsea want to sign me, a seventeen-year-old lad. Are you going to want to say no to that? What if it, what if it never happens again? What if? Yeah, they... I know, but you don't know the circumstance. Because I mean, talk about Jordan Pickford. You know, Jordan Pickford. If it was me, I would never want to do anything but play for Sunderland. Mm. So I didn't matter if you throw Barcelona or Real Madrid at me. I'd like, well, I want to captain Sunderland in an FA Cup final. That would be the only thing I was interested in. You don't know. I mean, Bally Mumma c- could be totally and utterly Sunderland but through and through. Equally, he might not be that. He might not be that bothered. It's great. It's great that it's been. It's great. It's great that he's been linked and talked about in these sort of terms. But it might be a bit premature. I think sort of stuff. I mean, I, I think. think the I, I think. Uh, well, I think. The, uh, yeah, I think. Well, I think there might be an aspect of that. But I think also, if you do break into a first team when you're 16 or 17 or even 18, people take notice because it's, it's so easy to dub the wonder kid or whatever it is, you know. And uh, there's plenty of kids who've been phenomenal at 16, 17, 18, who never sort of fulfil the potential. And you get your late developers as well. So I think it's it's good that he's been um, talked about. I think it's far too premature. Uh, I expect him to still be at Sunderland in the January transfer window when it ends, unless he gets the crazy offer. But again, I don't think that'll come down to Ballymun. But you look at, say, uh, last season where... Coney wanted to be away and, and a lot of these players wanted to be away I don't think Mumba will want to be away it'll come down to whether a daft offer comes in and whether um, whether the owners how they see it Right so we're going to move on uh, one final thing on current Sunland um, SCFC Dolphins maybe he's a Miami Dolphins fan possibly <laughs> he says as the juggernaut is now running full steam ahead who do we keep or sell in the transfer window I mean we're kind of already talking that but I mean the juggernaut running Full steam ahead was really the thing I wanted to talk about. And is that the case now? Has the, I think Mick McCarthy last year talked about the oil tanker at Sunderland that's going the wrong way and there's nothing that's going to turn it. Has it now been turned? Are we now heading Absolutely. full steam ahead? Yeah, I mean, you have to look at the run. You know, you don't. You know, oh, you know we, we had, a, like I said, that, that little, like, sort of bad patch where we drew a few games, then lost to Burton. But we've really not looked back since then. You know, you went on to beat, you've beat Rochdale 4 1. You've had what? two draws since then and then a run of six games in a row that we've won in all competitions we've had a lot of impressive victories a lot, a like lot of impressive victories yeah I think got back plus to back goal to back to back clean sheets you know if, if this if this isn't a team full of individual brilliance clicking together to make one cohesive unit and now ready to beat every team in this league as it stands then you know this is this has got to be it this is if, if ever there was a sign that we are now a team that could win this league. It's now, you know, this has got to be the juggernaut, the Sunderland juggernaut at full steam ahead. I think, well, I know that it's the best run in 10 years, best best run results and wins since uh, King yeah. got them promoted. Not that it's got an awful lot to compete with. No, and that's, that's <laughs> what, that's what I mean, we said at the beginning about, enjoying the good times, you know, because these are good times. It's great, I mean, I was, you know... I've seen I've had so many years where you, everyone you meet's down or gloom. What's going on with that club, Graham? All that sort of stuff. Like you know, it's just nice. To, it's nice to see people smiling and happy again. You know, so it's a good thing. I think um, Sunderland will have too much for a lot most teams in this division, but I think that's where that January window is going to be really important because uh, someone like McGeady, frustrating as he is, can win your games, uh, and he's a player that so many other teams in this division don't have. McLaughlin's been fantastic. Again, play that, you know, even Sunderland didn't have last season sort of stuff, you know, in terms of quality and goal. It's just, I mean, 
Jack Ross is holding a good hand of cards, and I think it, it, full credit to him and the owners for get, getting that hand. But he'll think, right, well, I could do with a couple more aces in the January transfer window. Maybe he's looking for a target man or something, or maybe he's looking for, you know, it'll, it'll be, there'll be areas where he'll be looking to strengthen. So uh, I think that's the key. If it's a juggernaut, if you want to, keep, to continue that analogy, if you want to keep maintain its momentum, you have to have a good January transfer window. Right, uh, Graham. We're now going to do some sort of stuff about your time covering Sunderland. Um, I thought you were going to say Morris Danson there. No, <laughs> no, why I thought that. Um, which managers did you enjoy working with the most? Um, I, I, I covered quite a lot, but uh, pro- probably really. Peter How many Re- managers did you have? Well, it, it, it's like a domino, wasn't it? Towards the end, they were just yeah. fall, falling <laughs> one after the other, you know. Um, in fact, uh, Peter Reed tells a story in the book where, because um, it had a, quite a few managers before he joined in rapid succession, you know, Butcher and Crosby and these sort of, uh, people and uh, Buxton, uh, and he met a season ticket holder and said something like, uh, so you're the new manager, yeah? And then Reed said, yeah, yeah, I'm a new manager. So his first couple of games in charge and the bloke said, they've written your name in chalk on the board. That <laughs> <laughs> thought it was a good line. Reed, managers could come and go very quickly. But... Amongst the succession, and really was there the longest seven years, so I had a long time to build a relationship with him. It could be quite terrifying, really, if you were a journalist. Um, but I, I developed a great relationship with him by the end. And that's, I mean, he's coming along to the, the book launch, which is a nice touch. He doesn't have to do that, you know, he's, so I appreciate him doing that. Uh, and those were the best times I had in terms of the, the club. I mean, sort of the the, uh, the 90 point season, 105 point season, and the two seventh place. Fit finishes um they were second or third at christmas both times remember as well people forget that just phenomenal Man united i think in january 2001 it was first three second well the the uh i remember when in that 105 point season for example it was like watching manchester uh, if it's one time i've had a feeling of how it must be to be a manchester united supporter when uh, alex ferguson because you were turning with a game you already knew they were going to win just by how many and who would score sort of stuff you know so that was enjoyable times i enjoyed working really Probably the uh, manager who I had the best relationship with in many respects was Steve Bruce. You know, um, Reedy would bu- could be prickly by his own admission, but Bruce, he was brilliant for me. Um, and I'm only speaking here as a journalist. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, some of the managers weren't. Some of the managers didn't... Every manager's different. And so every time... Every time a new manager starts, you have to build that relationship up. Some don't want a relationship. Roy Keane didn't want to know any journalist's name. Literally didn't want. So you know, he made a point of he didn't want to know anybody. You want to be that detached that he would not say, you know, hi, hi, Gav, hi, Connor. He would say none of that. You just literally, you know, he wanted to be completely separate. And yet, Keane was brilliant for 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 us, you know, because he couldn't open his mouth without giving you a headline, you know. Uh, whereas Mick McCarthy was the exact opposite of that, you know. Um, so. Um, I've had a good relationship with quite a few of them, and there's no, there's none really that. Uh, I had too many issues with Mick McCarthy. As from a journalist's point of view, he hated giving you stories. He hated giving you stories, um, you know, and go out of his way. Sometimes it felt to avoid giving you them. Um, but uh, you, you don't necessarily need a great relationship to be able to get good copy. I mean, it, it, take for example, two of the people who didn't want a relationship. Roy Keane was one, and Paolo Canio was another one. But again, Paolo couldn't open his mouth without sort of something crazy coming out and this journalist that was always good fun so I think I think Sunderland have been lucky in the sense that they've got so, they've had some really big personalities and big names and um, you know sort of it's that's, that's one area where they've been kind of quite well served how was Paolo Di Canio how odd 
how was he just in general? I mean, when you hear the news, be the same question, really, couldn't he? Yeah, I suppose. But you know, when Sunderland go, we are announcing Paulo De Canio. I mean, what is your reaction as somebody who has to work with him, deal with the PR disaster of him being a a fascist and everything else that came with it? And (laughs) I think it was David Miliband resigned. There was so much in that story. I mean, how was that for you? I mean, that was that was a crazy period. That was crazy, and uh, and there was a danger there that it was kind of like really spiraling. You know what I mean? When you it's like you know when there's people sense blood in the water. And it was getting, he was getting baited, and it was, um, you know, sort of the, the, the fascist thing didn't really kind of come out early doors. It kind of came out. I mean, I know we, we know he'd said it, but it was only sort of after he'd been appointed. I think that was a, I think that was a bit like the, the key, the keen appointment. I think it was a bit kill or cure at the time. It was an element of that, you know, right? Club needs a radical shakeup. We're going to get someone who's going to completely change it. Um, though the, the, the half a dozen times I can look back over the years where it was, it was manic one was Keane's appointment and uh, one was De Canio the circus for for a while but uh, press wise he was he was okay pa- Paolo loved to talk about himself you know if, you, if you're uh, if you're a manager Paolo De Canio used to actually go <laughs> Paolo De Canio no, me Paolo oh, I, I hate, yeah, I, yeah he used I, to um, talk in third person I hate anyone first. who talks in the third person it's, always, so, yeah, it's yeah. always a horrible thing to say and it just Alex looks, agrees with you yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it always kind of sees you know seems kind of but he, but he yeah but he was he was good copy and uh, we never had a problem with them press wise but the players did they just didn't take that regime at all we still beat the marks 3-0 so can't complain too yeah. much no, and I mean, that, that was that was that was a, the press box at St James's part as you probably know is pretty much behind the manager's dugout mm. uh, so yeah I had a perfect view of the, of yeah. the madness I suppose at maybe that, that moment yeah quite an apt turn of phrase for an Italian but I bet he was quite de facto uh, <laughs> and that, maybe that just didn't wash as a as a the authority figure for the players I don't know well, it's, ketchup. I mean, yeah, I mean, wait, ketchup's just like sugar and syrup, yeah. isn't it? They've all got. I can't blame them for that. They've, they've all got athletes. their quirks, you know. But it's all like, but but some, but again, it's what we were saying about the whole team thing, you know. Um, you know, Roy Keane and uh, was a world class player, and Paolo De Canio will tell you he was a world class player. Um, but they don't necessarily make the best managers, you know, because they, one of the things that often has made them world class is how extreme their approaches and that I mean that extremeness that Keane had eventually saw him moved out of Manchester United um, and sometimes that extremeness sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't I think if you are an extreme figure it's very hard to make it work long term you can come in and have a shock and change things around but then after a while people think oh, I'm not having this there was an element of that with power towards the end we've got Bob Murray coming on the podcast this week on Thursday I think it'll be released Friday but what what should we expect from Bob Murray whispering he whispers a lot and turn your, <laughs> and turn your mics up if I were you I, I don't know I mean I think I, I think um, I think Bob's in the, it, what, what, what happens is uh, for managers for players for for chairman is they live through their era where they're relevant at that particular club either as a player or a manager as a chairman and then they, they move on and then their kind of reputations after a while become more important than actually what they did and it's you'll often hear players saying oh I'm a better player now than I ever was when I was an actual player that's because there's been a, a, a review in people's minds of how good a player he was or how bad a player he was I think I, I always I asked I defended really right at the end, and I thought it was premature sacking him when they did. They were sacking; they weren't even in the relegation zone. They were fourth bottom, 
it was a more of a PR thing than anything else. He'd become unpopular. Uh, he was getting hammered every night on the radio show. Um, Which radio show was that? Um, this uh, Three Legends show. Right. Uh, I, I, oh, I remember that. You yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hammered every night, all the time, sort of stuff. You know, I, I always felt that was a little bit unfair and it was, uh, the mood was changing. He'd also made, because he was a very strong manager he made a lot of energy he was he says in the book you know about i made a lot of unpopular decisions but i always made a decision i thought was right for the club uh but when you make unpopular decisions you can become unpopular with some powerful people so i think i always thought it was a mistake um to have got rid of of reedy when they did um i don't think they would have they might have went down but they wouldn't have went down as embarrassingly no but uh, but, but you know yeah and that's, and that's that was probably his argument but i mean so it was it's just catastrophic after they got the they got the wrong manager in as well that's, that's a long story but the reason why i mentioned this was uh i said you know that i remember when he was leaving i said there'll come a time when people look back on this as a bit of a golden era you know they didn't feel at the time that everyone thought get rid of him everything's gonna be great they have to get rid of him that's what these critics said um and they've never reached those sort of heights since so what happens is reputations change over the course of time now bob murray <clears throat> and some people who hated Bob Murray at the time will hate him to their dying day he was a hate figure um, genu- and he would probably quite happily accept that for you know in, in the 90s early 90s before pretty much before Reedy arrived um, he was a, a bit of a, a hate figure his car windows were put in in Roker Park I remember leaving Roker Park and there'd be a mob outside chanting his, his name and, and, and abuse at him um, but again he's one of those figures where you always felt that over the course of time, people would look back and say, after that bitterness and anger had gone, there'd be a rebalancing of history. And I think that's happening now. I think I know sort of Stuart Donald and Charlie Medvin, um, they, they, they talk to him quite a bit. He's got a bit of an influence with the foundation still. He's done amazing work with the foundation, which he deserves huge credit. Something led the way in terms of that community involvement, and that was his his drive. Uh but he built the stadium. You know, it was, it was his vision that got the stadium built. He, he, he got a huge stick for not building the stadium at the time. He was one of the last stadiums to be built. So that criticism can be hurled at him. But they'd learned from every other stadium's mistake. So the stadium of light, the way it was designed, was so clever and so smart. And of course, he delivered the Academy of Light as well. That's that's his legacy. Um, so I think those when you look back and think, well, he was probably one of the most criticised chairman in history. Uh, and there will be some people who will never like him but at the end of the day the stadium is there the academy's there and the foundation's there and you could argue none of those would be there if it wasn't for Bob How did you feel when Roy Keane was announced as our new manager? Well I I know it was rumoured in the summer wasn't it and then it went away and then came Well, there, was loads, there were loads of rumours I mean sort Allardyce of uh, well. Martin O'Neill Allardyce I mean Allardyce Allardyce was past the post you know they had his contract written up he was going to sign in the 11th hour. And when I say 11th hour, I mean 11th hour. Uh, he decided he was not going to do it. I think a lot of people lost a lot of money on bets that they thought were cast iron certainties. <laughs> yeah. They were rubbing, rubbing their hands because they knew he was about to sign this contract and he decided not to at the 11th hour and uh, he didn't sign. Uh, when Roy signed, I was a bit of a... Uh, I, was, uh, I wasn't convinced. I wasn't unconvinced. But my thought at the time was, because if you remember, Quinny was promising a world-class manager and bringing a world-class manager in. And I was scratching my head when Keane was announced, because I was thinking, I mean, I, I know probably the thought should be that I should be in cartwheeling around rooms and cheering and punching the air and that sort of stuff. But he was a guy uh, who, at the time, if you remember, there was questions of his, his temperament. 
nothing against what he'd done as a player. He was absolutely fabulous. You would have Roy Keane, the player on your side, every day of the week. You know, you'd make an all-time Sunderland 11 Roy Keane. He was a fabulous player. I loved him. Uh, but manager? It was untried, completely untried. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was interviewed by Sky on the morning that he was announced. And uh, it was one of t- two times me and Niall, he didn't say hi to why with me. It's not, not difficult, he's six foot four. But uh, <laughs> but uh, he, uh, I was interviewed by Sky and I said, well, you know, it was, he was just about to be announced. Roy was in the stadium and I was outside. And I was asked, you know, what do you, what do you think of the appointment? And I said, well, I think it'll be kill or cure. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's gonna either going to go one way or it's going to go the other way. Uh, and when I got in after the press conference and all the rest of the questions, Quinny came up to me and poked me in the ribs and went, kill or cure, Gregory, kill or cure. He, he obviously thought I should have been cheerleading and that sort of stuff, you know, and, but, and got, got some excitement. Uh, but it was, a, it was a remarkable time because uh, of all the people I've met in football, Roy Keane has more presence and charisma than anyone I met. He's one of those people who, when he walks into the room, you know, all eyes are drawn to him and there's, yeah, it's just there's a, pre- there's a presence about him. Um, so it was a very exciting time, you know. I want to touch back. You said something about Sam Allardyce there about his contract. And mm. I remember watching an interview with Allardyce on goals on Sunday when uh, Keane left. Mm-hmm. And Allardyce said that he was surprised he hadn't been given the call to go to Sunderland because he would love to take the job. Do you think that's why Niall Quinn never went back for him when he seemed like a logical appointment because he pulled out at the last minute? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think Niall would probably be pragmatic enough not to sort of take his conkers in and say, "Oh, you could have signed before you let us down." I'm not having you in again. I don't think that would be the case. Um, but I think I, I, I thought. I, mean, I was really disappointed when Sam left. You know, I thought I, I think if Sam hadn't left, Sunderland would still be in the Premier League now. You know, absolutely. I think and he I, was going to go though either way. And I wanted him. To, I wanted him to be in the book. Um, and he's really his best mate. I didn't know Sam that well. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd known him sort of not in terms. I didn't really know him that well. Never really got that close to him over the years. But uh, I really wanted him for the book, and I tried everything I could to get him for the book. Um, I texted him. I phoned him. Uh, I really intervened on my behalf. His best mate in general was Neil Custis. He got in touch, um, but uh, unfortunately he didn't do it. So he's he's fat Sam to me from now on. He's he's not a big big Sam. I call him fat Sam. <laughs> but I I I I'd offer my cap to him in terms of uh, of what he can do with a club. You know what he mm-hmm. you know, I mean. What he did in such a short period of time and uh, was incredible at Sunderland. And of all the managers, I mean, we had those great escapes and all the rest of it. But I'd like to have seen Sam here long term four or five years but unfortunately I always thought it was I always for a long time I blamed Roy Hodgson you know I blamed England I thought you know corners, sort of, it's yeah, how he came on corners wasn't it yeah, and, and, and the goalkeeper you know and I just thought you know if that hadn't happened if England had got through they wouldn't be looking for a manager Sam would have stayed but uh, all the evidence I get is that he would have left anyway um, because the money wasn't there this is this was a time where Ellis had suddenly decided right not putting the money in and Sam didn't want to be doing it on a shoestring but I think Sam would have kept them in the Premier League the following season and I think he would have built something uh, Sam gets the Tony Pulis kind of criticism well when it's boring it's not very exciting it's all a bit pragmatic but I think Sunderland fans would have settled for that I think I think you know, I, I really enjoyed it I mean there was some dibs I mean there was like drawing at home to Bournemouth it wasn't fun but there was that you know yeah, but Chelsea you that, with any manager, every manager's going to have one or two games that are a bit drab you know yeah, if, if he was here to defend himself Sam what he would say is you you you, you play the cards you dealt with and often he's been in clubs where but if you remember Bolton when he had Jockey on for a while he, he built an exciting to watch team he would say I'd, I'd like to have an exciting watch team but usually the jobs I get when I'm going in I'm parachuted in I'm being pragmatic and I'm kind of developing things but I think he'd have built I think he's a good fit for Sunderland I mean the, the new, I always think sort of Newcastle fan, you know 
it'll give me stick now because I'm saying this, but I sometimes think that Newcastle fans are a bit unrealistic, you know what I mean? Sort of, and, and they got, when they got rid I've of Sam. I've never heard that before. Yeah, when they, got rid of, when they got rid of Sam, I think they were mid table when they got rid of Sam. I mean, you know, in the Premier League, because that wasn't, that wasn't good enough, just like when they got rid of Sir Bobby Robson because when they were fifth and Freddie Shepard. A Shepherd, lot of history Fre- being rewritten. Fre- there, Fre- yeah. yeah, exactly. And Freddie Shepard. Freddie, I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a saint now, but if you remember, uh, Freddie Shepard was said, you know, Fifth isn't good enough for this club, and I think, didn't Freddie Shepard say it was like shooting Bambi? I don't know. That was that was the thing I was sharing, but I think it was if Bobby had taken them from the from the bottom and taken them up there. But I, I, I digress. My point is about Sam. I think I think with Sam, um, it was like oh, they wanted to be the entertainers and the rest of it, and Sam wasn't their sort of manager. I think some of the fans would have would have happily have had Sam for the next three or four years. Keep him in the Premier League, establish him as a mid-table side, maybe a bit like the Bolton side once was, sort of like mid-table, but looking to push a little higher. Um, yeah, I think it was a, a missed opportunity that he was allowed to go, even though he uh, he didn't appear in the book. Yeah, we're a realists club, aren't we? You know, we'll take, well, we would at the time have taken Allardyce to come in, spend you know the money as efficiently as he, as he does, get us 11th one season, push on for 10th, and just sort of gradually build on what you've got. <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe not at like at exactly that level of one position up a season. Yeah, but, but you know, but to to improve gradually. It? I mean, like I say, we'll we'll not speak we'll not speak too much of our of our friends up the road. But obviously, it's um, uh, you know, it's it would, we wouldn't sack a manager if he didn't get us straight to Europe. I like to think there's a certain <laughs> element of realism. Well, I just, I, I just you need to build. I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's certainly. It's, 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 I just sort of think he would have been a good. Uh, I think he'd have, he'd, have, he'd have been a good fit for a it's good few years. Manager, and I mean, when you, when you look at what's happened since he's left, you know, I think we'd all, we'd all take that. What is the worst interview you have ever done? And that could be worse as in you got it wrong. You know, it could be the worst as in the person stormed out and it wasn't your fault. I mean, what is the worst? Uh, probably one of the very earliest uh, interview I did was with uh, was um, someone had reached, a, it, was, it was 95, I think 95, 96, but someone had done well, well in, the, uh, in the FA Cup. It wasn't. Uh, I was. And they were playing Manchester United. I think it was. Uh, they were playing Manchester United in the cup, and uh, I got a chance to go down. Jeff Story was the main person at Sunderland then, and I was like his deputy, and I got a chance to go down to uh, to uh, Man United to interview. You know, to go to the training ground to see if I could interview um, players. And I was so wet behind the ears. I mean, sort of like I was. An ex- I was an experienced news reporter. I was in my th- in my th- early thirties. I was an experienced news reporter when I first moved into sport. I was starstruck, you know, sort of, it's really weird, but I like, sort of, you kind of, you could talk to an MP, no problem at all, or a minister of state, but footballers, I was still a bit starstruck. And I went down to Man United, and this was at a time when Beckham and Cantona and Giggs and all these players are playing, they were huge, they were superstars. So I'm standing there at the door and I'm thinking, right, and these players that file them past me, you know, it was, it was, it's all, it'll all be different now, but in those days they've just ambled past you, and all these householders, can't now walks by, so Alex Ferguson walks by in conversation with Gary Ballister, and I thought, well, I've got to, I'm going to have to, I've got to interview someone, so Giggsy came up, and I went, uh, all right, Ryan, and he went, all right, oh, and he stopped, and I, thought, oh, I've got to, and I had no preparation at all, so I said something like, you know, um, I'm here on half of the Sunderland Echo, you're obviously, uh, Playing Sunderland next up, he said, uh, "Have you ever played against Sunderland at all, Ryan?" "Nope." "All right. Um, do you know any of the Sunderland players?" And I, I went down my list of like sort of like grasping at straws, and eventually the silence there. He had no connection with Sunderland whatsoever, and I kind of went, "Well, there. Uh, thanks for your time, Ryan. <laughs> no, no problem." And off he walked. I had nothing. So I'd say that's probably the worst interview I've ever done. <laughs> what about the best? Uh, I don't know. Um, 
the best interviews are the ones that you feel make a difference. You know, um, I remember I remember doing an interview with Chris Megan where I'd sort of uh, I, I, I made that joke about when John Key used to cross the halfway line, fans used to shout "shoot," and it's because Chris Megan had got his spell of having really wild stabs at goal sort of and the fans were not so like you know and I wrote an article saying like you know along the lines of you know uh, he'll start getting shouts of shoot if he crosses the halfway line and then the very next game you start getting shouts of shoot so you feel so you feel as though you're going to make a bit of a, a difference in that and things like the interesting one is sometimes just simple things like uh, there's a kind of a tendency in the game these days to, to what Clubs call protect someone, you know. Oh, we're protecting him. He's, he's, he's in the sense, sorry, in, in, if, if a game happens and say someone gives a penalty away or something like that, you'll, and obviously that's the person you want to interview afterwards, and you, you, you don't get they're not, they're not wheeled up because clubs are protecting them. But that's uh, that, that sometimes is uh, does that player a disservice because I remember interviewing Darren Williams once, it was Darren Williams who'd given a penalty away and in those days, I'm talking the early in the mid 90s. The press would stand outside the, the ground, the, the grounds, and as the players were coming out, they would just ask, "Can I have a, a word with you?" And if the player said yes, great. If the player said no, and you accepted that, you didn't take any offence. But does a lot of really good young lads around the time, really good sort of the other lads, Darren Williams, Darren Holloway, Martin Smith, um, Michael Bridges, these sort of players who were mates and asked me if I'd have a word or two with them. And I said, "Can you take us through the penalty?" And he explained that as he'd gone to make the challenge what looked like a rash challenge his foot had actually slipped in the turf and he clattered into the lad so I was able to put that in the paper it's a small time that these things these, these are the small these are unspectacular stories but these are the small ways you can make a difference a little bit week by week I was able to put that in the paper and that explained to fans exactly what had happened and it helped Darren that because, and it helped the fans as well because rather than thinking oh he's crap and he made a rubbish tackle they suddenly realised oh well and they gave him the benefit of the doubt Niall Quinn I remember um, I did a Niall Quil- Quinn column uh, for a year uh, I actually enjoyed doing the Kevin Phillips column. Uh, it was the longest running column. I enjoyed doing the Gary Rowell column, but I did a column with uh, Quinny, and it was when he was crocked. And now he's St. Nile, and everyone remembers and, he, and that sort of stuff. But people forget, again, long memories, short, short memories, and how football gets revised over the course of time. People forget that uh, when he had that injury, um, that he had, he had a really sticky period where he wasn't a star. He looked like a clod. You know, Claude Horse, whatever the word is, he looked you know slow and a bit of a donkey, um, and he several times he 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 made comments. He was very eloquent. He made comments in his his column, which I, I could see was changing the perception in the community. Was buying him time, sort of where people realized, oh, I hadn't realized that, and I hadn't realized that. And you can you can help people, you know, in terms of you can help players sometimes in that way if they can explain what's actually happened, the fans will read that and they'll accept it and they'll understand. So I wouldn't point to any particular interview off the top of my head, but that was a kind of meat and drink of the Echo and I used to enjoy doing that. What's the worst away trip following Sunderland? Worst away trip? I always used to hate the uh, the, the Midlands games. Everyone's different. I, I, I can get on a train in London and love it and I used to enjoy the train in London. You can walk around. I'd hate Midlands trips. In fact, the lads used to give me stick because uh, Stoke was one of the games I, I used to like covering. Remember that a few years ago when there was the... Uh, the Stoke game where it was, there was snow drifts and uh, Is that James McLean scored. I think it might have been there was a massive snow drift and the lads got snowed That's in. Right, this hour, yeah, that was yeah. the one. That was the one. I'd I'd I'd, I'd, one I'd, 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 I'd taken a holiday and avoided that one. So I was having my feet up in the Lake District next to a fire. So that was a, the banter was flying backwards <laughs> and forwards that I'd missed that trip. Uh, chosen it well, but I, I didn't used to enjoy the uh, the Midlands trips. So just something I've been stuck in. I, don't, I hate long car journeys in the Midlands. The Birmingham ones are always pretty ropey, and I didn't mind the long trips away. 
weird. And I didn't mind the South Coast or anything like that sort of stuff. You know, they were, they were good fun. Uh, best away trip? Best away trip for the journalist is uh, Arsenal, Man City and Chelsea. And the reason why is because the press rooms are fantastic. <laughs> and if Carla made press rooms, the, the Arsenal <laughs> press room would be it. Like is it not Carlsberg? Food. Carlsberg, there you go. Yeah, yeah. If, if Carling made uh, press rooms, it would probably be Burton. Home, home Park or Burton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably be Burton. But uh, uh, but no, the, the uh, journalists often judge their, uh, they shouldn't, but they often judge their grounds on the quality of the hospitality. Uh, and at, at Chelsea, Chelsea is like the like some Arabian banquet. It's just like it's like Shangri La. You go in there, it's like, uh-huh. uh And then uh, you know, sort of. Uh, but Arsenal when they when they, when they open the Emirates. It's a style. It's probably my favourite stadium. Everything about it is top quality. Everything about the setup at Arsenal is just pristine. Awesome. Like, Unbe- I mean, the, the facilities yeah, might be perpetually underwhelming, but like the, the actual facilities they've got. It's brilliant. And then Arsenal always prided themselves in that way. When they were at the Highbury, they always had this thing about the marble halls and the, you know, the uniform staff. They did things a bit differently. Uh, but you know, the, the Arsenal, when, when the fixtures come out, you know, sort of, well, you used to look at it as a journalist. When when you know when are you playing the top teams? What's your first game of the season? What's your last game of the season? Who are you playing Boxing Day? Who are you playing Christmas Day? When's the derbies? That was your journalist head on. But then you know, sort of as your uh, as, as, as your actual sort of travel correspondent uh, head on, you're thinking Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City. You know, I imagine the press pack uh, are not doing that this season particularly. What's the worst Premier League ground then? Well, it changes, doesn't it? It was the worst grounds. one you went to though, as a Premier League ground. Like even if it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I can't. I can't really think off the top of my head. I, I mean, I, I th- things like Fulham. I really like Fulham. Fulham Craven Cottage is a lovely ground. It's a lovely away trip. That's that's a that's a lovely ground to go to. I, I tend to just think of the the, the good games, the, the fun games. I was thinking, isn't a away fan? Middles, Middlesbrough was a, a game I didn't used to go to because the press box was right at the back of the stand. It was a horrible place. You tend you tend you tend to judge your uh, press boxes. Um, you, you, you your away grounds in the press box. That's your working environment. Uh, Southampton, the 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 old ground. Uh, the Dell, it was like the, the, the press box was like a pigeon cree at the top, right at the back, rickety old p- pigeon cree. So, so the further away from the action they are, the harder it, it is to do. So I, di- I didn't like those grounds um, particularly. But the stadium alight now, I mean, that's, that, that's horrendous that, is, that is horrendous place to sort of to, to report on. And for, and for me, uh, for, for the journalists, it's bad enough. But for someone like, you've got you to give credit to people like Barnsley. I, don't, I hate to give credit to people like Barnsley. Uh, but but you've got to give credit to the radio commentators in particular because they've got to call it in real time. You've got to call it live, you know what I mean? And sometimes, sometimes players are hard to distinguish as it is, you know what I mean? So in a crowded box, you've got to call that as it is. But uh, no, I always just tend to judge the away grounds on the, the press box more than anything else. What's it like when you do a derby then? You know, if you're in that press, do you have a rivalry with the Newcastle United right there or do you... You know, that's just not me, not not personally. No, no, no. Um, uh, no, no. I mean, sort of. Uh, Do you rub it in? Ha ha! Beat yours. No. I mean, me, me, my daughter's half Geordie, so you know, so she, you know, so, so I can't exactly. Uh, you know, my better half is comes from Newcastle, so it's a mixed marriage. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> that's so, how I call us half Geordie as well. <laughs> I'm a Northumbrian, but what, <laughs> I'm a full Northumbrian. What you've got in the in the. If you're a reporter, if you it doesn't matter if you're a Sunderland supporter, you can't be a Sunderland supporter and be the Sunderland uh, echo journalist in that way, football writer, because you quickly learn that the players and uh, the managers won't trust you. If you're a mad fan, you know, if you're a kind of like hugely committed fan, a lot of fans are either massively up if you win, as you should be, and massively down if you lose, which you completely expect because it's so important to them. But if you're going to do the, the journalist job, you've got to keep yourself on a, a level playing field. And uh, I'd, 
I never had a problem with that apart from sometimes the derby was a tough one because I, I knew how much that meant how much that meant to the fans and so the kind of the, the pain of a victory is like amplified and the uh, joy of you know sorry, the pain of a defeat is amplified and the joy of a victory is amplified sort of stuff so that was that was all that was always the one I thought was difficult to report on but you know a final one uh, favourite Sunderland player during your time covering the club um I don't know. I think uh, players I used to players I used to enjoy watching. Um, I, I used to like skillful players, but um, I, I was like, like the ball on the back of the net. So I, I, you probably start with Phillips, Kevin Phillips, as a, as a, as a goal scorer. It's just an absolute phenomenon. Um, I used to enjoy watching Quinny in that sense as well. I, I, I rated him as a as a footballer, um, Alan Johnson, but the the uh, a lot of the players I was involved with when I was first starting off, it was coloured by the fact that they were mates. I thought Michael Bridges was a phenomenal player. I thought it was very sad what happened to Michael Bridges with the injury. I think he'd have been in England regular. In fact, uh, he'd tell you that he's got, he had a, a shoot magazine from the time when he was sick, when he was Barry Mumba's age, when he was 17. And I still remember Michael's first touch in football where he said, I, I, it was Roker Park, I chucked him in, he only a kid. Uh, and I forget it was in goal, but Michael was brought on as a substitute. He was on the halfway line at Roker Park. So I was just, uh, you know, behind him really in the press box long goal kick and he took it he cushioned it in one foot on the halfway line and he just turned in one movement and, and ran towards goal uh, and had a shot and he just just missed the target it would have been one of the most amazing debuts he could have ever had but he was such a nice lad his mum and dad I knew his mum and dad Pat Bridges Joe Bridges they were great people so I with a lot of these players, when you know them and you, you become mates with their friends and their family, you're really kind of, you're willing to do well. So I was, I was very close to Michael. Um, but in terms of the players to, to watch, I, I thought, you know, I thought Johnny Evans, uh, his spell when he was at Sunderland uh, was absolutely phenomenal. So, you, you know, Steve Ball, if I, I probably maybe my pairing would probably be Steve Ball and Johnny Evans, kind of an all time 11. Um, but yeah, I've been lucky. I've watched a lot of, I mean, I've watched a lot of bad players at Sunderland, don't be wrong, but I've watched a lot of good ones too. Okay, uh, we're all done here. So just before we sign off, uh, I would just like to thank everyone for the support the last week we've had from the Stuart Donald podcast and the David Jones one. If you haven't listened to that, give it a listen now. Uh, I think we've pretty much hit the wards, probably 80,000 listens in the week by now, which is mm-hmm. pretty wow. impressive. So last great time I checked it was about, it was about that, yeah. Yeah, so great. great. We've got like big, Big numbers to hit there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Hope big Samson listening. Yeah. Yeah. Cliche though it might sound, you know, like such a magnificent viewing makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? Really, you know. Seeing. Yeah. Exactly. And we're all pretty much volunteers. Nobody really makes any money off it. No. Um, when you say viewing, listening, listening. Yeah. 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 Well, viewing viewing I mean, with your ears. We did actually have a video with Stuart all oh, this time. Did you? Technically, it was a viewing. Impressive. Yeah. I mean, it was just a camera that was just up there. But you know. well, he's been fantastic for you, hasn't he? Yeah, no, he has. He's been good. Um, just a, a proper football bloke. You yeah. know, and that's how I'd describe him. Um, so, yeah, I just want to thank everyone for that. Um, thanks, Graham, for coming on and uh, giving us some pearls of wisdom from your time covering the lads. And Alex. For some pearls. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, it's been okay as always. Yeah. As always, um, six out of ten. Yeah, six. Six and a push. Yeah. Six and a push. <laughs> and a push. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, we've got Bob Murray on Thursday, which I'm very excited for. I think we'll have it out on Friday morning, just so I don't want to stress myself with editing times, because my sister's actually having twins on Thursday. So, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. Well, well, I've got a lot of stick for that, because obviously, you know, sister's having twins. It's like, are you going to be around? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, well not really. <laughs> Uncle Brom. Yeah, so I think she's maybe having them in the morning. 
identical twins. It's going to be scary. Wonderful. Yeah, so I'm going to have to have my phone off. I'm not even going to know. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Yeah, I'll get told off. Thanks for having us, Alex. Thanks for having us, Colin. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.